Hello there, and welcome to episode number 22 of the Square Waves FM podcast. We're so, so happy to have you along for the ride, as always. Uh, okay, so I'm saying as always, and this is the part of the show where I usually say that my name is Brian, and as always, I've got my co-host Chris with me, but uh, sadly, most unfortunately, for those of you that joined us for our last podcast, you know that Chris has to take a temporary hiatus from the show, so uh, we wish him all the very, very best during his uh, difficult personal times, but we know that he'll return to us, and we'll uh, look forward very much so to uh, when he joins us. So... I suppose the uh, immediate future of the show is a little bit uncertain. Hopefully you guys will all stick around for the ride with me um, and uh, with my special guests. Uh, And who knows if we'll have an interim host or what exactly the story will be, but rest assured that at least including this one, we've got three weeks of shows in the pipeline and no doubt we'll have some more people to uh, join us and to uh, share in the the good times. If uh, any of you listeners, by the way, would care to... uh, join me on the show as a guest or as a host or whatever, by all means, uh, give me a ring at uh, Square Waves. What is it? SquareFM at demodulated.com, and we'll, I'll be very happy to uh, have you join us. So um, uh, I have a very, very special guest along today. Uh, why don't you please introduce yourself? Hey, guys. My name's Bianca. I'm uh, here today on Square what the heck is this stupid thing called? Oh, I forget too. Square Waves FM. Oh yeah, Square Waves FM to talk about The Sims because, well, I've played nothing else but The Sims recently, or I should hope I played more than that. Anyways, you anyway, were saying. I was saying, wasn't I? Yeah. So uh, welcome, Bianca. It's so so good to have you on the show. Um, as it happens, Bianca is my dear dear wife, and uh, what a cool thing it is to. Uh, have her along. Uh, we're, we're podcasting from the very same room, so that's kind of nifty. Um, because you were desperate for someone to talk with. Oh, I know, I know. It's so sad. So, um, uh, I've bragged many times on the show about how cool my dear wife is and uh, that she herself is an accomplished gamer, that the two of us, we have our uh, PCs set up side by side overlooking our eighth floor window in Toronto. So uh, we play games next to each other or with each other all the time. We were playing some World of Warcraft together this very morning. So uh, we've spent uh, many an hour playing uh, The Sims side by side, or more likely me playing something else and her her uh, tormenting her poor little simlings. <laughs> yeah, doing some kind of a diabolical deed of one sort or another. So um, we will get to our topic uh, in due time. Um, before I went to go into the other stuff, uh, a few weeks ago, I haven't brought it up uh, just because we've uh, been chatting about some other things, but a few weeks ago, I uh, got myself a Pebble watch. There's been all of this discussion uh, in the news and such about smartwatches, and for the longest time, I was just thinking, you know, what the heck do I need a smartwatch for? I've got my phone. I take my phone out all the time, but the idea was kind of rattling around in my head, and I figured, okay, what the hell? I'll splurge on a little treat for myself. So I took a look. Little treat. Little treat. I know, an expensive little treat, isn't it? No kidding. $250 is no means little. Uh, Well, okay. So about the price, I looked at Pebble's website. I guess it's pebble.com. I don't know. I'll put it in the show notes. Uh, They were having some sort of a sale, I guess, with the impending launch of their new product, Pebble Time, which I believe is available now or will be very shortly. 
it's uh, so the Pebble Watch is a smartwatch that's compatible with both Android and Apple uh, smartphones, iPhones, um, which is kind of unique because Apple makes their own iWatch and Andrew, uh, Andrew, Andrew, Android, <laughs> Andrew, Android makes uh, its own brand called the Android Wear smartwatch. Uh, so Pebble came out before both of those, and they made this product. It's an interesting. Uh, interesting wristwatch. It looks like pretty much any other wristwatch, but uh, it's uh, and it's got a monochrome display. The one that I got did anyway. There were two models with monochrome display. One of them is just called the Pebble, and one of them is called Pebble Steel, which is I believe the exact same technology, but it uses more metal parts. The Pebble Steel, whereas the original Pebble is predominantly or exclusively plastic, at least in the body of the frame and the strap. So I went to their website, and because the, their next uh, upcoming one called Pebble Time was coming out soon, which is a color one, and I think it has more memory and maybe a faster processor or something, um, the Pebble and the Pebble Steel were 25% off. And I think they might even be right now, and even by the time that I publish the podcast, may still be 25% off. So the Pebble is 100 bucks, and the Pebble Steel is 200 bucks U.S., so 25% off is $50 off, so that's kind of cool. So I thought, okay, well, for 150 bucks, that's not significantly more expensive than uh, the, the most expensive watch that I've ever bought for myself or had bought for me. I have a really nice wristwatch that my parents got me for two birthdays ago. Which two birthdays? Was, I think it was three birthdays. might have been three birthdays ago. And it's held up very well. I haven't had to replace the battery once. It's very attractive. It actually has a touchscreen which sounded kind of cool in practice. Um, and instead of, it has one button and then you can touch the four corners of that other watch to uh, like emulate pressing physical buttons on any other watch. It was for like the stopwatch and for setting the time and going through modes and that kind of stuff. Um, and it had one, so instead of those four buttons, it had one button which enables temporarily the touch controls and then you touch the face of the watch. But me being a big, gross, greasy, <laughs> fellow uh, I had to avoid touching the watch all the time because I get a big greasy smorsh all over the front of it and that's yucky so I just <laughs> would set the watch I would, I would set it twice I think One, uh, I, at first I set the watch and then I would adjust it twice a year whenever daylight savings rolls around um, and it's held up very well so anyway uh as with, as with all things with me, something that works perfectly well and has absolutely nothing wrong with it, I'm inevitably going to get bored with it. And so I splurged on this Pebble Time. Um, and there was free shipping. Uh, uh, so that was a really nice uh, value add on top of the 150 bucks as well. So I paid the 150 bucks, waiting for the free shipping. So after... It was a while. After like five days or so, I finally got a shipping confirmation saying that it was being shipped from Singapore. And for a good two and a half weeks or so, I didn't really get any other update whatsoever. I had a tracking number, and the tracking number just said, it's on its way from Singapore, and that's it. So about two and a half weeks later, at long last, I had, uh, I had uh, news that it had arrived in Vancouver, which is on the west coast of Canada, and is pretty far from Toronto. It's a good, how far is it, 2,500 kilometers or so? At least. At least. Between 2,500 and 3,000 kilometers. So that's kind of cool. 
Um, and uh, checking Google Maps, just because I'm a big nerd, I saw, oh, it's traveled like 27,000 kilometers, and it's almost here. So that, that was kind of nifty. I'm sure it must have come here, I guess, by ship. I don't know. So I waited another week or so for it to arrive. No, I'm sorry, before it even left from Vancouver, then it had to sit around in customs for a while. Then it made its slow journey from Vancouver to Toronto, and it long, long, long last... Well, actually, not even at long last. The, uh, the Canada Post website told me that the watch was available, that, it, that they had tried to deliver it to my house, but because it didn't fit in our mailbox, we had to go <laughs> pick it up from the mail, uh, the, the post office. So I walked over to the post office, and they said they hadn't received any such package. Why don't I try again? Uh, they said, why don't I... But I, as it happened, I was there about 45 minutes before uh, their evening shipment comes in of packages. So I, they said, why don't I just stick around for 45 minutes? So I waited around for 45 minutes and waited for the postman to come in and give a whole bunch of packages, and uh, the nice lady at the post office went through every single one, and none of them were my package. So I went all the way home. I came back again the next day, and lo and behold, there was my friggin' watch. So my $150 watch, that was 150 US, which at the time with our lovely exchange rate worked out to something like $195 or so mm -hmm. Canadian. Then not only did I have to pay... Did I pay tax on it? I think I had to pay tax. Yeah, you had to pay customs, which included HST. That's right. So yeah, I had to pay for tax. I had to pay for customs. And there was even, like, a customs receiving fee of $10 or something stupid like that. Like, I thought that's what postage was. That's ridiculous. Yeah, so it was an additional $50 on top of the uh, cost. So, effectively, whatever he would have saved on shipping, Canada Post got back from him. That's right. So, yeah, pretty well. So, in the end, it was about $250 for this watch, which was way more than I had anticipated spending and was way more than, frankly, I'd be willing to spend had I known in the first place. I would have been happy enough without it. I would have been happier with the 250 bucks. Um, that being said, it's a fun little toy. I'm I'm of the, the mindset where if I get a new toy that has like apps that you can install on it and stuff, I just won't put the thing down until I found all kinds of awesome stuff to do with it. Um, and for whatever reason, it hasn't entirely captured my imagination. I figured, much like with my f smartphone, when I got my first Android phone, which was my very first smartphone. Do you remember what it was? Oh, it was the LG. LG Optimus One. That's yeah. right. Which was a pretty low-powered smartphone as far as they go, but it was just good enough that both my wife and I, we got the same smartphone. We love this thing like crazy, and we decided that there was something to smartphones and that our next one will be a fancy one, which is kind of my thinking for the Pebble Watch as well. I figured if a smartwatch is something cool, then I'll invest in a cheap one, so I thought. And then if it's good, then I'll, I'll get a nicer one next time. So, there's a good side and a bad side to my story then, I suppose. Um, mm -hmm. On the bad side, um, the you need to install an app on your phone to browse through the Pebble App Store. They have their own app store. And you browse through Pebble's apps using this smartphone app. So, what I, what I often like to do with my Android is to browse the Google Play App Store with my desktop PC web browser, just because I find it a lot easier to navigate through web pages and stuff like that with the keyboard and mouse and a big screen. If I can help it, that's what I'll do. Um, and sadly, with the Pebble App Store, it's only available on the smartphone, so I have to kind of poke around uh, using touching and swiping and all of that on my smartphone. So it's okay. 
I read that the Pebble App Store was recently upgraded from an older version, which was poorer than whatever is there currently. So the current one, it's like, okay, but it's not terrific. There's a lot of load times where I don't really understand why there would be load times. So it's kind of a chore, kind of going from page to page and category to category. The categories are really crappy and not very descriptive at all. The uh, apps themselves, there's some really useful ones. There's a lot of not very useful ones, and there are some that are absolutely, completely, utterly useless. So, I mean, examples of useless ones are there are some apps that kind of go above and beyond the built-in functionality of the smartwatch, which can tap into your phone's notifications and display notifications on your wrist instead of displaying them, or in addition to displaying them on your smartphone so that you don't have to take it out of your pocket if you receive an email or if you are getting a call or a text message or whatever. Um, there are some really specific apps that tie in, like for your, for your watch, that tie into companion apps on your phone. So they have things like pedometers and run tracking, uh, exercise trackers and GPS monitors and heart rate monitors and things like that. Uh, some of them, I, I just built, use uh, Google's built-in uh, footstep monitor. So that does the trick for me for the most part. I don't really care if I see that on my watch because I don't really need to look at it and see step-by-step step how close I am to my goals. I just look at my phone every 2,000 steps or whatever to see how I'm doing. Um, there's a bunch of apps for the watch that, uh, that tie into other apps that I really don't care about. I'm kind of struggling to think of any examples here, but... Uh, I don't know. I can't think of any examples, but suffice it to say, they just don't apply to me whatsoever, and I don't really care. There's some really specific ones, I guess. There's, like, umpire counters for baseball and stuff like that. Just really specific things that don't have a lot of interest for me, uh, or I'd just rather not impose the wear and tear on such an expensive device for such a superficial task. And then, unfortunately the app store, the Pebble app store, is totally riddled with, like, garbage, and real garbage, like, people will be developing their own app, and it, they'll publish it to the store, and it'll be like, this is my first app, and all it does is tell you that, yes, you pressed button number three, and that's all it does, sorry, everybody, and Pebble keeps that published to their store, I know. That's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. It's really stupid. I had a good debate with my dad about this, actually. We were kind of debating... Whether and I'd love to hear your opinion on this too. Okay. Um, let's take uh, let's take Android and Apple for example. Um, they have two very different policies in terms of what apps may be stored on their smartphone app markets. Apple does a curation sort of a thing where if you want to put an app on their store, you have to go through a whole certification process and uh, make sure that your app meets a whole huge list of hundreds of criteria and then you send it into Apple and they look at it and they do their own tests and it either passes and they'll put it on the store or it fails and they'll give you some vague reasons why or they will cite the specific uh, criteria that you failed to satisfy and they'll say fix it up and send it to us again sometime and then they'll take another week or whatever to evaluate it at that point so uh, my dad was kind of in favor of the Apple the Apple philosophy whereas uh, I myself prefer the Android philosophy where anyone is free to put whatever apps they want on the Android store and there's no certification process and there's no uh, there's no criteria for uh, applicability to, to having your app hosted on the store. 
Uh, my thinking was that over time, kind of the cream rises to the top, people will rate your app, and when you do a search for a certain topic, even if it's an obscure topic, if there's more than one app, the one with the most downloads, the one with the most highest ratings will come to the top of the search results, and it'll be the first one that you look at. But if it just so happens that somebody has made a not very polished app, but it performs some task that no other app can do, it's kind of nice to have the option there that you can download that if you so choose. Mm-hmm. I don't know. What do you think about that? Well, I can see arguments in favor of both. However, I'm, I'd be, I'm surprised that Americans accept the Apple method. It seems very uncapitalistic to me. The Android seems to be very much in line with the American belief in capitalism and uh, free market. Oh, right. The freer the market, the freer the people, that kind of a thing. Exactly. And that, you know, they let the market forces determine what the people want. And in this case, Android has embraced that philosophy more willingly than Apple has, whereas Apple has taken a more nanny state approach and uh, laid out uh, rather authoritarian terms for acceptance into its exclusive circle. That's interesting. I never really thought about it that way, honestly. Um, That is a really good point. What was I going to say about that? Um, oh, well. Anyway, that's that's a really good point. So that that was... My, my dad was kind of in favor of the Apple way of things because he was thinking that if there's something that just doesn't have value, then the, uh, the whole App Store is undermined and diluted by hosting something that is less than optimal or less than acceptable, even. But I figured it's better to have something that's kind of rough on there that does the job than to have nothing on there because it's not pretty enough. Mm-hmm. It's like I had we had to fix our screen doors, so I and and not and prevent our birds from trying to get out. So I uh, cobbled together a solution that was cheaper than buying a whole new screen. It doesn't look pretty, but it works, which is in which is exactly the same thing as the Android door. It may not look pretty, <laughs> but it probably works for whatever objective a person wants to achieve. An app that looks pretty may not necessarily do exactly what you want, especially if features are locked for one reason or another. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you about birds after I'm done with my little pebble watch spiel here. Oh, yeah. Because, uh, yeah, cause, because, have you, have you, I know that you've never been on a podcast before. Have you ever listened to a podcast before? Loaded question. <laughs> Loaded question? Yeah, because depending on... Because if I answer yes, then you're going to say, what have you listened to? If I answer no, you're going to chastise me and say, why haven't you... No, I'm not. I just find it amusing that you're my podcast guest with with as little context as I think you may have. Little context would be a very nice compliment. I have no context. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. Oh, you know what? You have listened to one podcast? Oh, right. And I was... told you once, I told you a thousand needles. Oh my gosh, that's right. Oh, so you've listened to more than one. That's right, my wife and I once listened to... I don't remember the name of that podcast anymore. It was a... It was a World of Warcraft podcast. Yeah, and... Uh, and it was pretty funny. Yeah, there were a couple of different ones that we listened to that were World of Warcraft. And uh, one general gaming one. And I think it was when one that Ben Chandler appeared on. Yeah, that's right. We once listened to... I was like... I was extolling the virtues and raving about how awesome the Blue Cup Tools podcast is with Ben Chandler and Francisco Gonzalez. And so uh, Bianca and I were on a road trip once together, and uh, I told her, I told her, you go ahead and listen to whatever you like on the way there, and we're going to listen to the Blue Cup Tools podcast on the way back. And so 
unfortunately for her, I suppose, the particular episode of Blue Cup Tools that I chose happened to be the one where they had Richard Cobbett as their guest. And, I mean, nothing against Richard Cobbett. He's an amazingly, hilariously awesome guy. Uh, dear, you saw me watching one of his videos the other day. I was watching Less Manly uh, Escape from L.A. or something like that. It was like a, a really cheesy uh, adventure game that he was kind of making fun of. Okay, yes, I was wondering what that was. Yeah, so Richard Cobbett, he's a, a, a games journalist for PC Gamer Magazine and for Eurogamer and for Rock, Paper, Shotgun. He get, he's a very funny, snarky guy. He's the guy who did the uh, crapshoot. Uh, uh, segment for uh, PC Gamer. Oh, okay. I okay. think so. I think I remember. So he's an awesome, hilarious guy that I respect very much and makes me laugh all the time. However, um, when he was on the Blue Cup Tools podcast, everyone turned into, like, super machine gun chatterboxes that were just kind of rifling off these, these semi-automatic bullets of <laughs> references to uh, really old computer games, and it was just a lot of, like, insider talk. I myself probably recognized, like, between 50 and 60% of the references that they were making, and uh, my poor wife here, uh, who is an avid gamer, gamer but uh, not quite so much of the retro stuff, uh, just couldn't follow any of it. And just because it was all such, like, energetic, high-velocity conversation... It wasn't really indicative of the usual dynamic of the Blue Cup Tools podcast, where it's just uh, Francisco and Ben calling each other a cat, basically, for <laughs> an hour. Yes, they really do that. So that was that was the, the Blue Cup Tools that I was hoping that she would get to listen to, and perhaps when we do our road trip next week, I can find a better example of it. Okay. Perhaps. Anyway, let me finish my Pebble story, and then I want to ask you about your birds, because no. this is a video game podcast, and... And we tend not to talk about those things for a good while until we get going. <laughs> so anyway, to wrap up my Pebble story, um, I've got my Pebble watch now. I have not found a single app for it that I really give a crap about. I will say, okay, so my, the Pebble watch itself, it has four buttons on it, which kind of sounds like a lot, but I think it's the preferable alternative to a touchscreen, which it does not have. Um, it has three buttons on the right-hand side, which are usually for, like, up, down, and okay, and one button on the left-hand side, which is back. So you can kind of navigate through menus up and down and go okay or back. You can optionally uh, kind of bookmark two apps by holding down the up button or the down button, and it will switch to that quickly. You can put as many as eight apps on it, but then you have to do a whole bunch of scrolling and stuff, and doing it on your wrist one-handed is just kind of weird. I don't think I... I mean, a lot of people chastise Pebble for only allowing eight apps on a watch, but I'm like, it's a watch. How many apps do you really need to put on a watch? You've got your smartphone if you want to do anything more sophisticated than that. So ideally, the way that I would like to use it is to have information pushed to me when it's relevant, rather than me seeking out information by navigating some user interface uh, on, on a tiny little watch screen. Because, I mean, I read that the Apple iWatch has a button that you can tap or double oh, tap or hold Ugh. and it has a whole new like library a whole new a whole new bunch of touch gestures that you have to learn and they're all completely different from uh, the iPhone it just sounds like a lot of interactions that you have to learn to do on a tiny little screen and i personally would rather use my smartwatch to be a passive uh, a passive uh, push notification mm -hmm. vehicle so, yeah, it sounds like the Apple one is just creating an un unnecessary learning curve for its users. 
and mo and not all Apple users are going to be tech savvy to begin with. So it's going to alienate a good segment of the population when these people when consumers discover that this thing that they're hoping would make their lives easier is just going to make their lives more complicated. Well, I agree, and I kind of think that it's sort of diametrically opposed to the design principles of Apple, who, you know, Steve Jobs, I think, would, would not approve of this device having one button and three different ways to interact with that button, like tap, double tap, or hold. I think he would say that if there's one button, then you tap the button and something happens, and that's it. Maybe you hold down the button, but I think the double tap thing is just one degree of complexity too many. I'm surprised by that. Mm-hmm. So, anyway, long story short, I'm using my Pebble Watch just kind of as a vehicle for displaying the push notifications from my phone. So, if I receive an email, then my wrist buzzes and I look at it and it's lit up and, I know, and uh, there's the subject or a, a synopsis of the email. Or, if I have a reminder for an appointment that I have in five minutes, this is a really helpful one, I look at my watch and it says, this is the name of the appointment coming up in five minutes and it's in room M806. Which is awesome. That's great. That's the most relevant information that I want at the time. Ideally, I would love to uh, have some kind of a conduit that allows me to view my Google Now notifications because, for example, Google Now shows me uh, like 15 minutes before I usually leave work. Google Now will pop up and tell me it will take you two minutes longer than usual to get home from work because there is congestion on Highway 401, or it will say it will take you 12 minutes longer to get home from work than usual because there is an accident on Bayview Avenue. We recommend that you take this alternative route instead. So I check that every day before I go home just in case I need to uh, uh, take an alternative route. I would love to get a little bit of that information on my watch. So I'll keep you guys updated anyway with how, uh, how it goes. Oh, and the other thing that I really like about the, the Pebble Watch. One added convenience that I wasn't really anticipating is that it communicates with my phone via Bluetooth, um, and the new version of Android, uh, Android 5 Lollipop uh, operating system, allows you to automatically unlock your phone if a Bluetooth device, a recognized and uh, authorized Bluetooth device, is within, uh, is within proximity. So whenever my phone is near my watch, I don't have to enter my password. And that's really cool. And that means if my phone gets stolen and it's no longer near my watch, then it, they'll be prompted for a password. And I have it encrypted and everything, too. So it'll be pretty much useless if my phone is stolen. So that's kind of nice. Um, am I missing anything about... Oh, I guess the, other, the last thing that I'll say about the Pebble Watch is that unlike both Android Wear and the iWatch, it has an awesome battery life because it's like, I forget, 150 by 100 pixels or something on the screen, monochrome screen, and it's a technology called e-paper, which I think is somewhat analogous to e-ink, which is what uh, cheap Kindle and Kobo e-readers are, are made of, the screens. It really only needs to spend uh, electricity when it's changing what's displayed on the screen, but if it's just showing what's on the screen, uh, without it changing, that it doesn't take any battery at all, or like infinitesimally small amount of battery. So that means that if I choose a watch face with a with no second hand, it doesn't. It only has to update the watch once a minute instead of sixty times a minute. So that means that it uses a teeny weeny little bit of battery, and I really only have to charge the watch every five or six days. Which compared to my last watch, I mean, I've had it for three years and I haven't had to change the battery. 
so it's a big difference. But compared to the Apple Watch and the Android watches, you have to charge those things every day, and I've heard stories of them not even lasting a day without being charged. And I believe you have to, like, shake your wrist or touch a button or something just to show the... For the Apple Watch, anyway, you have to, like, touch a button or shake your wrist or something just to show what time it is, whereas... Android is one better where you don't, it shows the time, but if you wanted to do something fancy, you have to touch it. And my watch, the Pebble watch, it always shows something, whether you, you don't have to interact with it, it's always showing what's relevant to you. So that's kind of nice. And if I want to turn on the backlight, I can shake my wrist. So that's kind of cool too. Okay, blah, blah, blah. Um, oh, I want to hear, I want to hear about birds. Okay, what do you want to hear about birds? Squawk. Squawk. Okay. <laughs> Uh, we, we had a small change in our birdie family dynamic this week, which was a little bit bittersweet and a little bit sad, but it's certainly for the best. Do you want to, do you want to update our listeners on our birdie situation? Sure. As you know, we had five birds. At one point, we only had four. Going a little further back, we had five. In August of last year, I lost my sweetest, tamest budgie, Miles, unexpectedly. Mm. Beautiful green girl. Gave little birdie kisses. Anyways, so that left, that changed the dynamic in the budgie cage, leaving one of my birds without a friend. Meanwhile, my only male, dumbest, the uh, dumbest bow hunk of all birds, <laughs> managed to score himself some hot tail with our beautiful blue girl. So, nonetheless, in January, we got, they, uh, it got, things got hot and heavy, and we got six eggs, one of which we kept and hatched into a lovely little yellow bird so as of this week so over time it became obvious that my male budgie just did not get along with my other two girls surprisingly the other the one he didn't get along with was his own kid i'm assuming nature reasons here because you know you know hey kid you're you're growing you can fly right okay we're kicking you out of the nest now yeah correct me if i'm wrong i believe in the wild what happens is that once a baby budgie is fledged and it's able to fly, it flies away and it never comes back home again, right? Exactly. So they've been trying to... It, so it looks like this bird keeps coming home. Parents keep trying to fledge it. Meanwhile, they the parents are still wanting to get it on, and they're sharing a cage with another bird, and this bird is competing with them for food. And naturally, the girls, this bird is unhappy because she's being pushed around by the uh, male who's bigger than her. And now when you say competing with them for food, I think in reality we had three birds and four food dishes, which is an, ab- an overabundance of food, but it's just their instinct to compete with each other. Mm-hmm. Right? In a small environment, it's their instinct to compete. They think everything belongs to them, especially when they buy for alpha status. Anyways, this week I had removed... Uh, my poor alienated girl who lost her companion last year and put her in a cage with our with the youngest one, Maxie. So now we had Maxie and Apollo in one cage and uh, the dumb bohunk and his hot female tail in another cage. <laughs> but with the other two girls flying around free, it became obvious that the other two were jealous and were not happy about being locked up when they wanted to fly too. And so we... Uh, made a hard decision and put a, a, an ad on Kijiji to put these two up for adoption. Oh, why don't you tell our, our global listeners what Kijiji is? For those of you who don't know what Kijiji is, Kijiji is the Canadian version of Craigslist, which is just a place where you can put a wanted or offering ad. 
you know, you have... Classifieds, right? Class, it's online classifieds. You have a bike you want to get rid of. It's in great shape, but you can't be arsed to uh, ride anymore, so you put it for <laughs> sale on the uh, want ads. In this case, we put uh, our budgies up for adoption. It's, it's, it's better than sending them to the shelter where they may get separated. If by putting the, the ad up myself and uh, finding a uh, home for these guys, I could be sure that they went together. Because the last thing I want to do is separate them. So, on Friday, after a very sad goodbye and trying not to bawl my eyes out, yeah. I brought them down to their new owner, a very nice lady who has uh, two boys who li and lives in the same city. I took the birds from me. She was really happy to get them. She was talking to them right away. She thought the male was absolutely gorgeous, even though he's a dumbo hunk. Seems every male pet I get just a dumbo hunk. Looks great. Has beautiful markings, you know, fur or feathers, but just dumb as dumber than a pile of cream corn. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so now we're down to three birds, and the two that are and the two budgies that are left. Uh, they're just two flying brats out to destroy the entire house. So which two budgies are left? The youngest that was born from my mating pair. That's Maxi Galactica. And Apollo, who I got uh, before I ever got Diego, but after I, but after I had the other two first budgies, who are Miles and Phoenix, and then oh yeah, and then there's our Conyer, who just makes things very interesting when budge, when the budgies go crazy. <laughs> yeah, for those of you who follow Pushing Up Roses on Twitter. She has a green-cheeked conure, which is, she puts up pictures of her bird sometimes. It's a gorgeous little bird. And our, our conure, Kimmy, is... A cinnamon-cheeked conure. It's, it's a cinnamon cheek. It's basically a green cheek, but instead of having a black head, it has a pale, grayish, almost cinnamon-colored head with little pale peach cheeks. Yeah, it looks almost identical. Yeah, so, uh, so that's, 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 that's our bird story, I guess, yeah? Mm-hmm. Complicated situation. So now we are down to three birds, mm -hmm. which is the fewest we've had for many years. And we thought that it would calm things down, but little Maxie is, because she's only six months old or so, she's just a ball of energy. And Apollo, who was formerly stuck with Diego and Phoenix, her parents. No, I'm sorry, uh, Maxie's parents. Apollo yep. was stuck with Diego and Phoenix, the, the two lovers. Um, she is so happy to have... I think to be away from those two who are just so competitive for the space, I guess they they need you needed budgies need a lot of resources. They need like calcium and lots of food and water if they're going to be breeding. So I guess they're very protective of whatever resources are at their disposal, right? Exactly, they're protective of their resources and space. Hmm. Yeah. So she's ha so she's uh, happier than a pig and shit, and she's <laughs> uh, free as a bird. Well, she should be free as a bird. She's a bird. <laughs> I suppose so. Yeah, so it's cool so far. So far. Yeah. So, I don't think your listeners want to hear any more about our uh, birds. I suppose they want to hear about games and any uh, oh, I letters suppose. or emails you've received this week. Oh, well, by all means, please go right ahead and dictate the format of my podcast, <laughs> Toots. <laughs> well, you told me the format of your show many times. I suppose I did. Oh, well, why don't we give a shout out to a uh, listener and former guest of the podcast, Akago, who was, I think, the only person who successfully uh, told us what game we named all of our birds after. Yep. 
So our birds have been Phoenix, Miles, Diego, Diego and Apollo, and and Maxi Galactica, which Akago had correctly guessed to be all from the Phoenix Wright series of games. Mm -hmm. So that's too awesome. Akago, we got to have you back on the podcast, man. You're great. All right. That being said, oh, so as always, it would not be a Square Waves FM podcast without someone correcting us for fucking something up. <laughs> so this was, oh, so this wasn't too bad of a fuck up, I suppose. Thank you very, very much, Mr. Trolls, uh, for correctly pointing out that the Nesticle emulator, which is an emulator for Nintendo em- uh, Entertainment System games, um, is not only available for Windows, but was actually available for DOS. I checked out an emulator site that I've relied on for, geez, at least a decade, I think. It's called Zofar's Domain at Zofar.net. I will put a link to it in the show notes. It is, in fact, the only emulator for the NES available for DOS. That was really surprising to me, actually, because any machine that I had that ran DOS, um, it was barely powerful enough to run a Game Boy emulator, and Game Boy is grayscale. It's like four colors, four shades of gray. Uh, so that, um, that, that, it would run those games with a lot of slowdown often, even my fastest DOS machine ever. So I'm surprised to hear that there's an NES emulator for DOS. It must have been for Pentiums, I suppose, or at least Fast 486s that were still running DOS in those days. So thanks, Trolls. That's good to know. So speaking of Trolls, why don't we go ahead and play a voicemail that he very kindly contributed to the show. So, good Mr. Trolls, please take it away. Hey, Squares. Um, I just wanted to get a word in. Hi, I'm the Space Quest historian, by the way. Um, I just wanted to uh, get a word in because you guys were talking about hex editing in the uh, previous episode. And uh, I don't know when this voicemail will even get to you. I'm so sorry that Chris had to leave. He will be sorely, sorely missed. Uh, if anything, please pass this voicemail on to uh, to Chris so he might at least get a chuckle out of it. Um, and I dearly hope that uh, whatever ails him uh, or ails the surroundings around him will uh, eventually uh, come to some sort of uh, status quo where he will once again be a happy, fruitful, joyful member of society. Um, anyway, uh, what I wanted to uh, talk about was, of course, uh, hex editing, because uh, you guys were talking about hex editing. Uh, and uh, in my early days of DOS computing, I don't know why I said it like that, DOS computing. Um, I used to play around with the hex editor and not knowing what the fuck I was doing, um, I would just basically, you know, when I get bored, uh, you could, I used to sit around my computer all day and, uh, you know, socialize much as a kid. So um, I would just, you know, play through a game and then I would try to go into, uh, you know, the XE file and uh, whatever data files were lying around and, you know, try to try to do some stuff to it. And I didn't know anything about hex values. I didn't know anything about, uh, you know, looking for patterns in the hex code and trying to alter my stats because uh, I didn't play games that had stats or anything. But I would look around for, you know, alphanumerical values, stuff that I could change, like uh, the player character's name or... Um, uh, just, uh, you know, uh, try to put in my own error messages or the my own uh, pieces of dialogue or whatever, uh, which was always great fun. Um, 
And uh, usually it would just bork the game like to no end. It would just, you know, completely flat out stop working. And, uh, you know, I'd have to uh, restore it back up and then, uh, you know, just play the game as normal. Every once in a while I'd get lucky and uh, the game would not, you know, check some the whole thing and it would just pop out my, uh, you know, <laughs> kind of sophomoric uh, um, uh, messages that I'd put into the code. But anyway, um, the greatest thing I ever discovered while hacking, I'm doing air quotes here, hacking a game file was a, uh, a little known adventure game by uh, by core design actually the dudes who went on to do uh, uh, Tomb Raider and shit um, they did a little known adventure game called Universe which is uh, by you know by my account at least completely and utterly terrible it had some pretty nice graphics for the time but the uh, controls were just atrocious and it was one insta death scene after another I never got very far in the game my brother picked it up for like uh, like nothing at this used computer store, maybe a bookstore, I don't know. It was like 20 megabytes on a 700 megabyte CD, and it was just the disc version, had no speech, had nothing. Uh, it was just a terrible, terrible game. Uh, sorry to anyone from Core Design who may be listening, but yeah, your, your game really, really did suck balls. Um, but if you looked through the XE file, and you didn't even have to use a hex editor, by the way, you could just uh, do this uh, by, by looking through the XE file uh, with... Um, uh, with with edit like the the uh, DOS program the text editor edit um, once you scroll down past all the uh, nonsense and all the error messages and and everything you'd come across this hidden message hidden in the uh, exe file which was just plain text all caps apparently put in by one of the programmers and uh, I'm going to read you out some excerpts. And uh, I actually wrote a blog post about this uh, a pretty long time ago, and uh, you guys can link to that in the show notes. It has the complete screenshot of the entire message, uh, but I'm just going to read out a couple of excerpts. Uh, he starts out quite non-secutorly, is that even a word? Uh, sorry, nose just clock. Um, he starts out by just going, Froggy chat, hit the rights slang, I ties dodo. Yet another scroller from that wonderful person Niels Bearford, so hold on to your hats. Uh, which, and the game is not a side-scroller, it's an adventure game. <laughs> Sorry, what's up with my nose? <laughs> Sorry, I'm not a coke addict. Uh, anyway, uh, then he goes on to thank a number of people and put in uh, weird little uh, quotation marks like would be their quotes like uh, take me to the bank and who loves you baby and uh, stop using Lala as a label. And then he gets dark. Um, story time. It all happened when I was eight, you know. Even then, I had an IQ of over 200. Well, that's another story. Well, back to the plot. Oh, did I tell you this is a true story? No. Oh, well, it is. Oh, yeah. Well, with an IQ of over 500... <laughs> Kind of jumped a couple of points there. I had a lot of problems mixing with people my age, so I made this void where nothing happened and I sat in it. The next thing I knew, I had aged to 29 and some thieving bastard took my fucking IQ and he only left me with 10 IQ bits, so that's why I'm programming Universe because no other fucker will do it. End of story. Wasn't that sad? No. Well, fuck you then. Milky Milky. Actually, he, he does end it with Milky Milky. I didn't just make that up he does p.s get a life this is the pits so uh kudos to whatever disgruntled programmer put in that little uh spice of life into the code because that really uh, brought me 
a lot of chuckles. What the hell's going on with my nose? I'm really, um, I, I was just outside, nothing. Anyway, uh, keep up the good work. I have no idea when you'll ever get around to this voicemail. Um, I might even be on the show when you play it. I don't know, because uh, um, I'm really looking forward to being back on the show. Thank you, thank you, Brian. And um, again, Chris, I wish you all the best. Please uh, come back to life uh, soon, because I will dearly miss your uh, telephone distorted voice and your uh, impressively bad joke telling skills and whatever else you bring to the table which is frankly quite you know honestly a lot uh so please please um uh, keep up the uh, stellar work don't let the podcast die um and uh i'll talk to you soon bye well thank you very very much trolls that was a cool call um so yeah first of all i really do appreciate on chris's behalf uh all, all of the very kind things that you say about him, and of course they're all true. He does bring, he did bring, so very, very much to the podcast. I'm going to do my very best to make sure that he can uh, hear those sentiments one way or, or another. So thank you for that, trolls. Um, that that was some that was some weird stuff that was embedded in that executable file. So there's two there's two things that I'm thinking about here. Two possibilities. Number one, I think that some, I think that some executable files are padded with garbage bits to make them of a certain length so that it is a uh, so that the file size is divisible by 8 something like that that might that might be something i don't know that might be a possibility any of you who are more technically savvy than i or know about compiled executable files uh, do let me know whether that is indeed a restriction um, however, you said one word that kind of clued me into uh, a possibility, and that was the word scroller. So, um, and I find it particularly interesting that uh, the, the conclusion that you dr- jumped to was about side-scrollers, considering your personal history trolls in the demo scene, or should I say your exclusion from the demo scene, and the fact that you are so into mod music, but without the context of the community that surrounded it. So to me, as someone that did participate in the demo scene, um, I, I recognize a scroller to mean a part of a demo where it's just scrolling a whole bunch of text, often in a really stylized fashion. It might be like blurbling all over the screen with like uh, changing size and changing resolution or zooming in and out or something like that. But often a demo or an intro or a loader or some permutation of a demo would have a long string of text that would just have like kind of a diatribe not entirely dissimilar, but a little less insane than what you just read out of that, out of that uh, executable file. Insane so, is a nice way of putting it. I suppose so, huh? So often they would give greets to other groups or to other uh, demo sceners that uh, had contributed things that the group liked. So maybe that had something to do with it. I hesitate to suggest that perhaps you are using uh, a cracked version of the game that might have had an embedded uh, loader inside of it. Something to get around the copy protection that some third party had injected into there. That's not entirely unheard of when there's some kind of protection inside the EXE itself that prevents you from running the game, uh, or uh, that would invoke some kind of a copy protection, a manual lookup or something, and a cracking group or a piracy group uh, embedded a little bit of code or changed the code in some way. Uh, in order to bypass that. Uh, so anyway, speculation uh, done at this point. Thank you very, very much, Trolls. 
really, really do appreciate your voicemail, and again, we greatly, vastly appreciate your kind wishes. So I can't wait to get you on the show sometime soon, perhaps next week if we're all really lucky. Yeah. Hearing him mention uh, the hex editor reminded me of when we uh, did, you did hex editing for, uh, what was it, um, that uh, space game? Uh, we had spaceships to trade. You were doing the trading? Uh, yeah, it doesn't ring a bell. I remember. lamps? Oh, um, uh, Gazillionaire. Yeah, Gazillionaire. We, uh, were bored, um, having consumed intoxicating substances, decided that we didn't like the names of the products that were up for sale, and, um, went into a hex file and edited them to be, uh, less humorous and more... This generally humorous and more humorous for us. So we would snicker every time we had to buy our products and for trade. <laughs> I'd say that I don't quite remember us doing this, but I think that would probably be a greater admission to whatever <laughs> we had ingested before doing this. So I'll just say, oh yeah, I remember. <laughs> That's funny. I do remember hex editing... Oh, this was in school, I think, in high school. They had Windows 95 computers as I was graduating high school, and um, like good little students, we would spend uh, computer lab time playing Microsoft Hearts. <laughs> and so we would enjoy using hex editors to change the otherwise mundane and ordinary names of the other players to things like Poop Whistle or <laughs> Shit Sucker. <laughs> so we'd leave a nice little surprise for whatever lucky soul came into the class next to waste their time. Mm -hmm. It was very kind of us, indeed. Oh, very kind. <laughs> All right. Thank you again, Trolls. We have, uh, we have a letter to read out now from uh, Jessica. So, so happy to hear from you, Jess. Um, and, oh, and we're so happy to, at long last, reduce the, uh, the testosterone quotient from this <laughs> podcast. It's been a real sausage fest, hasn't it? So I'm glad that in one fell swoop we can, we can add some boobs to the mix, you know? <laughs> Aren't I a charmer? <laughs> oh, you're so charming. Oh, you have a nice pair yourself. Oh, fuck you, buddy. <laughs> so, thanks, Toits. You're very welcome. Ah, so here's our letter from Jessica. She says, I heard this week you're talking about The Sims. I've been a huge Sims freak since I was 11, when it was sent in a Christmas package from my uncle, which you can read about in the latest issue of MPC. Yes, she is a contributor, by the way, to uh, our MPC uh, magazine, which a lot of you should have received already? Anyway, I digress. I don't know if you've ever played The Sims with other people, but it was one of the few games I had growing up that a lot of my friends played, and we used to play it together, even though it was obviously a single-player single game. I had many friends who were addicted to, in this one particular way, binge gaming. Oh. Most of my friends who played would get sudden cravings to play it for 20 hours straight when they haven't played it in weeks. Oh it, yeah, we were totally binge gamers. At least I was with oh, it. totally. Um... This addiction existed in all uh, in all Sims players I knew, and with every Sims game. I'm definitely, I've definitely experienced it myself. Did you guys have the same experience? Perhaps this is a good opportunity to come out with my shameful secret. I have yet to play Sims 4. Have you guys played it? Is it as good as I've dreamed it is uh, a few days out of every couple of months? So thank you so much, Jess, for your letter. We really, really do appreciate it, and it's mm -hmm. nice to hear from you. Um... So she asks us about binge gaming and about Sims 4. I think we can keep the Sims 4 talk until uh, we get to our main topic. Yeah. But 
what do you say about binging on The Sims? Oh, it's too easy to binge on it. It's one of those games that you can put down and come back to. Unfortunately, when you come back to it, it's you you're you missed it so much that you just gorge on the buffet and it's like screw the vegetables, screw all the healthy stuff. I want the dessert and I want all those really salty you know, you know, you're the Chinese buffet. You want this, the really nice uh, buns that kind of have these slightly salty but slightly sweet filling. You want all the stuff that's bad for you, but it's the best stuff. It just tastes so good. That's what binging on The Sims is like. <laughs> you're skipping all that stuff your mom makes you put on your plate. You know, those horrible vegetables. Who wants vegetables when you can uh, go straight to dessert and just have Sim 24 hours a day? I haven't. I can't say that I've actually binged on it for 20 hours straight in a day, but. I've had, I binged on for several days in a row, stopping briefly to uh, actually eat like a normal human being and um, not be a total uh, hermit and pretend that, and uh, you know, go out for a couple minutes, just drink a couple coffees to keep the uh, caffeine levels up. Fine. <laughs> this is true. I, I, I can totally relate to the Sims binging thing because for me, I will play Sims plenty. For I don't know for a few days or for a week or for two weeks if uh, it's if a good expansion has come out, then I pretty much stop caring entirely. I kind of have played it enough that I can recognize the underlying systems and I'm like, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna grind through this activity to build up my whatever skill by four points, which is gonna take me a long time of fast forwarding, and then when I do that, I'll be able to accomplish this, which will allow me to finally accomplish that when I've done these other two prerequisites. So once I've kind of seen through the matrix and uh, understand the underlying systems of the sims then i kind of get fed up with it and it sort of loses its uh sheen and its charm and i put it aside for a while and then something will remind me of the sims many months later and i uh, and i'm reacquainted with the the charm on the surface of being a virtual person living his or her life and uh that captivates me again and then i get right back into it or you see me playing, you get jealous for a few, and you join me for a few hours, then you get sick of it. Oh, so that is a very that is a very nerdy husband and wife thing that we've discovered to be a thing. Yeah, one of us will play something, mm -hmm. and the other person's like, "Yeah, I miss that. I'm gonna start playing too." So we drop whatever we're doing and play exactly what the other person's playing. Yep, I was playing World of Warcraft. I said it would be nice if I could play with you. So. Uh, because thanks to Blizzard's new system where you don't actually have to pay money anymore, you can use gold. If you've been one of these people who just hoarded gold for a number of years, you can now just pay your gold to get your game time token, and uh, then you can just come back and play without having to spend the fifteen bucks or uh, put the uh, or buy a game card or anything, which is really nice. Which is what he, which is what uh, no, he did. That's not what I did. That's not what I did. No, you uh, used the gold. No, I didn't use the yeah. I didn't use the gold because I'm a because I'm a, a big fat nerd. The uh, World of Warcraft gold was more valuable to me than the real fifteen dollars, so I paid the fifteen bucks to resubscribe. I didn't notice that. <laughs> yeah, I did. Well, they sure make it effortless to send them your money. Blizzard is a, a real champion at <laughs> greasing those wheels. Yes, they are. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, so I I don't know how many times I have unsubscribed and resubscribed to World of Warcraft and talked about it on the podcast. I won't say any more about it, but anyway. Uh, I took a few months off, and I kind of missed it, and it's great to play with the wife, because it's a game that we're both good at, and can play pretty effortlessly together. We're both good at. Don't you mean I pretty much take you by the hand and walk you through everything, and you pick up all the gold on the way? Don't you mean kiss my damn ass, you <laughs> braggart? <laughs> Screw you, pal. <laughs> all right. And, of course, 
Similarly, I was watching him play uh, Airborne Medal of Honor yesterday, and I'm and uh, having played all my Call of Duty games and not really wanting to continue Advanced Warfare right now, I asked him, "Is it any good?" And wound up buying it and playing some of it. I'm only on the second mission, and I love it already. Oh yeah, that's right. We're supposed to be talking about what we played this week. So yeah, Medal of Honor Airborne. Yep. Yeah, I picked that up for a minute, didn't I? And that's what enticed you to try it out? Yep. Yeah, for those of you that have not played it, Medal of Honor Airborne, I don't remember what year it was released, probably around 2010 or so. It's made with... It said 2007 on the loading screen. Oh, really? It's a very good-looking game for for something that's eight years old. My goodness, that's awesome. Although, um, it being a cross-platform game, it was made with the Unreal 3 engine um, by Epic Games. And that was a really, really good engine that did a good job of uh, loading in textures dynamically for large areas so that you didn't have to use too much texture memory. And it also did a good job of implementing physics uh, physics system. So that is an engine that, that aged very gracefully and very well. Um, yeah, I played that a little bit this week. That game is... Why don't you talk about what makes that game unique compared to other shooters? Well, first of all, you have... You level up your weapons, but not as in level 1, level 2. You Instead, you level up in terms of your proficiency. So, level 1, so marksman 1. So, you become, you're somewhat good with it. It's better, You're better than you were in boot camp with a drill sergeant yelling at you to throw a potato, throw a fake grenade potato in the bathtub to prove that you have, <laughs> you really, really to throw like a man, not some sort of little pansy girl. <laughs> but then, you know, you get a little better, and then you get your second marksman rank. Which means that you can you can now load faster, you, or you can use a be- better clip. You have better aim, and then finally level three, where you know you're just uh, you you're the master of the gun. No one can compare to you, and you can uh, one shot all those little peddling Nazis, and they can kill over and die like good little Nazis. <laughs> Not to, anyways. Good little Nazis, yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. And besides that, then there's also the health system. Call of Duty, the first one, had health packs, and most shooters have just health packs. Second Call of the, uh, then the su- most subsequent ones had, most subsequent Call of Duties had, you know, you take some damage, you run and cower behind a box while your teammates get shredded to bits by shrapnel, and your health comes back, and you're like, yay, good as new, and you run out guns blazing, you uh, mow down whoever happens to be in front of you, whether it's uh, the Japanese, the Germans or uh, some uh, ally of the Soviets, or I believe the current ones are, uh, you know, war on terror. Oh, yeah, the future jerks. Or the future jerks, you know, the guys you haven't heard of yet. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah, I kind of, I, uh, it was Call of Duty 2 that introduced that thing where you, like, get, you get, like, a sucking gut wound and somebody <laughs> shot you with a bazooka or right through the stomach. And then you just kind of hide behind a box and you do, like, the Le Mans breathing for five seconds and, oh, I'm all better. <laughs> oh, and, um, so you were you were partially correct, I would say, about uh, the upgrade, the weapon upgrade yeah. system in Middle of Honor Airborne. It was just my first ob- observations. I haven't played it much, but it seems that it's, you know, the three medals which represent your proficiency. Yeah, so that's true. That's true, I think, of most of the weapons. My favorite permutation of that, I think, is when... You have some kind of a, a like a sub or some kind of a machine gun, like a submachine gun, a handheld one, and when you get it to level three, you get fast reloads, which is the most ridiculous, funny thing. You like have 
instead of having a, a magazine of ammo that you like take out and put in another one, you have two magazines that are kind of like 69ing and taped together. And when <laughs> when your clip is empty, you pull it out, you flip the thing upside down and plug it in upside down. And so you've always got like a fresh a fresh magazine uh, on on the other end. I, I think that was really funny. You have this like yin yang of bullets. <laughs> you keep reloading your gun with. That's pretty funny. But later on, you'll have like a rifle, and when you're most proficient with it, you figure out a way to shoot grenades out of your rifle. Mm -hmm. It's really stupid. Mm -hmm. Yes, the uh, reloading one reminds me of you playing the Advanced Warfare. Because uh, cause I had played it first and you copied my profile. Mm -hmm. And your first complaint was, You reload too fast! This reload animation is bizarre! That was weird, yeah. And then I had to explain to you that, uh, no, I leveled up my reload time. So that way you read. So you. So no, you're not reloading faster by default. That's just a uh, upgrade that I got for myself. Yeah, this is kind of a weird quirk of the Call of Duty games, especially. Um, often. You know, it, it was more recently that Steam added a feature called Family Mode or something where we can, like, link... My wife and I can link our Steam accounts to each other, and as long as we're on the same local area network, we can see the games in each other's library, and you can play a game from the other person's library, but then uh, that other person can't play anything from their own library. It's kind of complicated. But anyway, before that, we really had to buy two copies of any game that we both wanted to play on our own computers. So we would often do that, and the Call of Duty games in particular... Um, they go down to pretty cheap when uh, a sale comes around. Mm -hmm. So the Call of Duty games in particular, when you copy them from one computer to another, even though you're playing with a completely new profile and it starts you from the beginning of the game, any unlockables that one person has unlocked, those somehow get copied over to the other person. So when I tried um, Call of Duty Advanced Warfare, you, you get these like incremental upgrade points that you can spend on upgrades and one of them was to make your reload animation go faster, so you reload your guns really fast. Like, really fast. Like, an animation that might have taken three seconds now takes, like, three quarters of a second, so it looks like super fast-forward weirdness. Mm -hmm. So, me playing it from scratch, I was wondering why the hell I was all speedy Gonzales with the, with the <laughs> clips. <laughs> so, that explained that. Uh, what else have you been playing this week? Um, I got another new game, Cheats for Hire. Basically, uh, you're some kid, you're a janitor, and uh, you were kicked out of school for cheating and had, but the uh, person, but your accomplice was not, and they turned out to not be the principal of the school you work at. And other students are failing at an alarming rate. Three students have come to you, a cheerleader, a jock, and a nerd, who want to, who are, who are proficient with cheating. And, but they want more information and you can provide it. So you provide them with a bit of guidance and they in turn help other students get away with cheating. Unfortunately, it, not, it doesn't sound as straightforward as this because you have to have all three students in this, the room where the exam is taking place. Each student, each of these students has a particular special role. The cheerleader is there to charm the pants of uh, potential people that you can cheat off of. So she's there to charm people to get answers and to Charm them to pass the uh, answers to uh, the person who needs help. The jock is there just to be a pain in the ass for the teacher and the teacher's pet. He throws little uh, spitballs or anything to distract them from any uh, naughty goings on. The nerd is responsible for sneaking the answers and then getting the answers to the person who needs help. Right now, the first couple of levels are easy, but as it goes along, it gets a little more complicated. The teacher has his teacher dar and his, and his teacher's pet. Teacher it, dar? <laughs> yeah, it's, you know, 
where they can they they have eyes in the back of their head. They always know when you're on your phone or you know not paying attention. I had a teacher who uh, figured out that I was reading under my desk while she was lecturing in grade <laughs> six, and so she told me to put my book away. Ironically, it was during English class. You were reading another. And let me guess, you weren't like reading comic books or something. You were reading like a novel. Yeah. Uh-huh. I think I was reading. Um, I just got some books for uh, my birthday. Uh, this was uh, back in, in the early, in the mid nineties. Sweet Valley University. This is these were one of the these were not as big as some of the other stuff I was reading, but uh, these were pretty big books for my for uh, that time. I know most of my peers had these little tiny uh, thin books, and I was and uh, I was slowly getting into more adult novels, and these were the, the uh, final transition before. I, out of uh, my young, from my young adult to adult novels. Okay. So yeah, teacher caught me reading under the desk. You're a nerd. <laughs> yes, I am. Which is why I kind of like this game because your objective is to uh, not get caught by the teacher. And unfortunately for me, I got caught by the teacher twice actually in grade. Well, twice in grade six actually. Second time, it was a student who the teacher's pet ratted me out. So. I totally understand this game and want to succeed in this game. <laughs> yeah, the teacher's pet ratting me out for cheating on a French test in grade 5. Oh. No, actually, it was grade 6 I cheated on a French test. It was a spelling test. I've never been good at French. I just wanted to get out of there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so the objective of this game, then, is to collaborate with people with different uh, abilities to mm-hmm. get you all the answers to the tests? Yes. So you collaborate, and you can even try and do get these people to move at the same time. You have to move. You have to move your person, your person around the classroom. It's almost like a chessboard. So you can move diagonally, straight up and down. But you want to move, what you want to move with the fewest squares possible, and seat your uh, three ch- your three pieces strategically, so that way the nerd's closest to the person who needs help. The cheerleader is positioned so she has access to the greatest number of people. And the jog can really just be put where he can uh, hit the teacher or the uh, book or the uh, teacher's pet easily enough, so that they no longer are a threat to your two other uh, teammates. That's really neat. So it kind of, by your description and also by what I've seen, it kind of sounds like somewhere between like real-time strategy and tower defense. I didn't realize you could choose where people sit. Because that's a very tower defense kind of a. Yeah, it is. It's, so it's real-time strategy once you get playing. But it's tower defense when you're doing your setup and choosing who you need to go in. You also have a fourth trump tool, which I haven't used yet, but it's good when you're playing more difficult levels and you get stuck in a uh, really difficult place. The janitor is one of the, is your trump card because he can uh, trigger the uh, the sprinkler system, the fire alarms, which acts as a good way to distract both the teacher and the teacher's pet. So then that's. What's this game called again? Cheat for hire. So it's like cheats, cheats for, like the number four, hire. Thank you. Mm-hmm. I'll stick that in the show notes. Mm-hmm. Sounds really cute. Mm-hmm. What else have I been playing? Well, my free-to-play stuff. Clicker oh. Heroes. Oh, yeah. And uh, Adventure Capitalist. Adventure Capitalist. But uh, nothing really fun about those. They're just fun little quick time killers. They're kind of compulsive, aren't they? really compulsive. What else was there? When we had Bram on the podcast, I told him, I I talked a little bit about Adventure Capitalist, and I see him playing that all the time now, and then I started Clicker Heroes as well, which is like a smart, we haven't talked about that on the podcast yet. Do you want to talk about what that is? Okay. I don't know if you you mentioned Tap Titans in the past. No. Okay, so Tap Titans for Android is um, 
Just a game where you tap as quickly as you can to defeat enemies. You get gold for any every enemy you, that you defeat. And then every five enemies, there's a boss that you uh, take out for a greater amount of gold. And later in the game, relics, which get you your up enhancements. So, Clicker Heroes, which is for PC, is very similar. Except you use your mouse and you get a boss every ten, every and you get a boss every five levels. These bosses drop a big amount of money, and you use this money to upgrade your heroes. Each hero has a number of skills that unlock at 10, 25, 50, 75. Some of the heroes even have skills that unlock at 100, 125, and 150. And those skills, for the most part, uh... enhance the hero. The hero's own damage. There are two heroes, however, in Clicker Heroes that do enhance their team's overall damage, which is really nice. But unfortunately, this game is extremely compulsive, and you get tired of clicking after a while. The good thing is, you can turn it off, get, accumulate a bunch of gold, and come back the next day and spend your gold and make your heroes even better, and then log out for a while. Basically, that's the gameplay itself, and uh, you reap the benefits. You can get the achievements without doing a single thing. Yeah, we did talk about... I guess it was when Bram was on the podcast and I introduced Adventure Capitalist. We talked a little bit about Progress Quest. Yeah. Which, you remember that one? The one it's like an RPG where you don't touch any buttons ever and it plays itself? Yeah. So, yeah, that was kind of the, the progenitor of the idle RPG or idle game uh, genre. I'm so glad that it's a genre. I love, I love the concept. Well, I think one of the, the tenets of good game design is small input, big payoff. So it's just awesome when you can do a tiny little thing and it sets into motion this really awesome chain of events that mm -hmm. is very rewarding somehow. So these Clicker games are like that too. I don't know what it means yet, but I read about in Clicker Heroes some mode called idle mode where you don't click. And like if you don't click for a while, then something happens. I don't know if you get more damage per second from your heroes or what. Mm -hmm. I, I haven't. Into that. Yeah, I haven't looked into that either. But it sounds interesting. Yeah. What else have we played? Oh yes, I also I uh, recently uh, got Mass Effect, which I started playing. Oh yeah. How are you liking that? It's interesting so far. I'm finding it a little story heavy, so I'll have to. But I'll have to get around that. It's interesting though. Although unfortunately, <laughs> I'm not always in the story heavy games. But I'll try. I'll come back to it. I like the shooting part. I like the combat. It's interesting that. Uh, I can pick what I want to level up in combat. Mm-hmm. I'm also uh, aiming to uh, make my uh, commander a renegade. I don't want to be nice. Being nice to people sucks. So <laughs> I'm just going to be the biggest asshole possible in the nicest way possible. Well, you have that wonderful quality about you. Me, I have I have some kind of moral issue with uh, choosing the, the, bad, the bad answers. When I'm playing an RPG like that, especially with Knights of the Old Republic, it was only the second time that I played that. Um, that I could bring myself to choose the bad guy answers just because I'd already chosen the good guy answers, which are very plain Jane goody two shoes, like kissing up to the teacher kind of answers, all the goody, the good guy stuff. Mm -hmm. Knights of the Old Republic in particular, or I'd say in particular, but it's probably the only RPG where I chose the bad guy answers. You feel like such a bad guy. And I've, I've played, I think, a couple of other RPGs where I tried to play the bad guy, and you do the good guy stuff, but you're a jerk about it. Whereas in Knights of the Old Republic, you do bad guy stuff and you're a jerk about it. Mm -hmm. So we'll have to see in Mass Effect how much of a jerk you can really be, because so far, I don't think you've really fucked anybody over, have you? Um, no, but I've insulted a bunch of people and I've got renegade points and I've pissed some people off. That's right, you're like insulting, you're insulting while you're 
picking their flowers for three dollars. <laughs> I know. So they, so I'm not. So I. So because of that, I'm not really getting uh, any good guy points. I'm being just a big jerk about it. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see. So you're supposed to you're supposed to play those games in a way that's not like you in real life. Oh hush. <laughs> um, I played. Since I, I don't know what else I played. Um, hmm. Well, of course, Euro Truck Simulator. Oh yeah, we've we've mentioned that game seven or twelve times on the podcast course, before. Yeah. And I played. I I tried to play Binding of Isaac this week, but as usual, I rage quit because I didn't get good skills. Mm-hmm. And I still don't have the D six unlocked. Oh, we got to get you there. You'll get it yourself. You're almost there. Yeah, except I, I like Azazel too much. Right. It's too easy to play with. So, that's pretty much games I played this week. Okay. I'll talk a little bit about briefly about the games that I played this week then. Um, because I think I've finished this game maybe ten times or so already over the years, um, I played Fear yet again. I finished it yet again in less than a week. Uh, just kind of while we were like watching... A show or having oh. a conversation. Okay, sorry, I'll mention it after. Yeah, you can wait for me, Chatterbox. <laughs> <laughs> so, Fear is a first-person shooter by Monolith Productions. I think it's the best game that Monolith ever ever made, and I know they made the No One Lives Forever series, which is utterly brilliant. It's so well written. It's so funny. It's very inventive, and it, ha- it lets you sneak or be a He-Man or whatever. Um, there's nothing wrong with Lo- No One Lives Forever. Nothing at all. But me personally, I like Fear a little bit better, even though it's a straight-up combat game. It is just... I think it might... It very well could be the very best single-player first-person shooter ever made. And I love Half-Life 2, and I love Doom, but I think Fear just kind of brings it all together in a way that nobody else does. The weapons are kind of... Well, they, they're they run-of-the-mill, but they often have a little twist around it. For example, um, you know, there's pistol, there's shotgun, there's small and heavy handheld machine guns. But then you have this sniper rifle, which is so awesome. I don't know, remember if they call it a plasma rifle or something like that. But when you shoot somebody with it, it, like, evaporates all of their skin and muscles and guts so that nothing is left but this charred skeleton. That's real cool. Um, and another kind of mid-to-long-range weapon, which is sort of snipery, is a stake gun, which is similar to a gun that you get in uh, Painkiller. It shoots these, these like, long, narrow, straight bolts, which, uh, after you've shot somebody enough times with them, kind of pins them to the wall, which is really gross and awesome. Um, so, I don't know, cool weapons in this game anyway. Uh, there's like rocket launchers and the sniper rifle and some other stuff as well. The sniper rifle is a little unique too because you shoot bursts of like three or four bullets, so it's like a semi-automatic sniper rifle, which can help you adjust your strategy a little bit to, for instance, kill like three people with one burst by by waiting to uh, line them up in one shot. That's kind of neat. Um, different kind of grenades. Anyway, I don't want to go into too much detail about it, but. The graphics, this is a game that's at least 10 years old for sure. The graphics look very, very good to this very day. The textures are really well designed, and they're actually pretty high resolution for such an old game. It looks spectacularly beautiful. The animation is top-notch, and also on our 144 hertz monitors, 
looks like surreal. They're so smooth and everything. Very, very beautiful. So what's really unique about Fear, aside from the kind of horror presentation and the story that it takes you through, is the combat arenas, which is what I guess I'll call it. The level design is made... It's designed in with these kind of circuitous areas that allow you to approach one like one choke point from two or three different routes. So you, as the player, can hopefully, like, you can choose one of those routes, and your first kill, if you're sneaky, you'll be able to kill somebody without them seeing you. But as soon as one guy is dead, then everybody, every other enemy knows that someone is dead, and perhaps where you are as well. And at that point, you have to really sweat it out as the player, because the advanced AI is very, very well programmed. It kind of goes through this decision tree of... Uh, what obstacles are available and what cover is available and what routes are available. And so in that like Jurassic Park clever girl kind of a uh, kind of a, a mentality, your the enemy AI will kind of divide and conquer. They'll somebody will keep you busy from up front while somebody else is running around the back and trying to surprise you from behind or from the side, which is really, really sneaky. You just never, because of the level design and the AI working so well together, you never feel safe in that game. Whereas a game like uh, Call of Duty, you know that you're pretty much uh, traversing through a narrow corridor and you can hide behind something and nobody's going to come from the sides or from behind you. You're always kind of moving forward. So that's just a, a, an endlessly satisfying uh, combat mechanic in Fear, and that makes a really, really big difference. I played it with almost no sound on and with uh, kind of uh, skipping all the audio log voicemail things and stuff like that, but anyway, I'm not going to go, I won't say any more about it, but I love that game like crazy. If you've never played Fear, the first one, buy it, because it's aged extremely well, and I'll say it again, I think it could very well be the pinnacle of story-based first-person shooter design. Love it to pieces. I've played it... This is probably the third time i finished it in the last 12 months, and I'll probably play it again in a, a few months again. I just love it so much. So, um... The only other game that I'll mention briefly is... that I mentioned not too long ago as well, is 140, which is a platformer game that is... where the obstacles are synchronized to music, and it's all, like, electronic and techno music, and the different obstacles kind of act as the syncopation of the different uh, elements of sound and percussion and chords and stuff like that. So the synchronization just of the uh, of like the symbiosis of the, the, the movement of your obstacles and the music is just so impactful and very very rewarding. So I've played this game several times now. I think I have like five hours on record and this game is maybe an hour long or so to play it from beginning to end. What I'm trying now, having played the first and only I guess three levels a few times now is that I'm trying the mirror mode which is like hard mode so all the obstacles you go in the opposite direction and all the obstacles are backwards I think some things might be a little bit deadlier or a little bit less forgiving as well but the toughest thing of all is that uh, you only get one life and if you die then you have to go back to the very beginning whereas in the regular mode it just puts you back a few steps and you can try something a few times so I've now finished two of the three hard mode areas. The third one is really, really hard, and we'll see whether I get there. I kind of don't care if I do or not, but I'll take any excuse I can get to listen to that music. So last thing I will say about 140, anyway, is that I looked up the composer, who is a guy named 
I don't know if it's Jacob Schmid or Jakob Schmid. Um, he's a guy from Denmark, and uh, it occurred to me in learning that that uh, there's a couple of other composers that I absolutely love from Denmark and who you listeners may be familiar with as well. One of those composers is our uh, our uh, longtime listener and uh, participant and uh, caller inner Trolls Playmart. Play- Playmart? I don't know how you say your last name, Trolls. You're going to have to pronounce that for me sometime. Um, he, in particular, well, of course, on the episode where he joined us and talked about mod music, he composed this awesome song, which impressed me a lot in terms of like its intensity and its sound and its timbres, but also particularly because of the mixing, about the, uh, just the, the where he chooses to put sounds and how he fills up this whole audio spectrum with, like, a stereo, uh, stereophonic, uh, uh, I don't know. He, he just does a great job of mixing. It, it, it feels like his songs are all around you, so that's a great song. But I think my favorite thing that he's written, which I will link to in the show notes, is uh, a soundtrack for a fan game, I believe it is, Space Quest Seven. It's a game that never existed, but he wrote a whole soundtrack for. And it sounds to me just like any Space Quest soundtrack that you would hear, particularly like four and five and four and five most of all I would say. Kind of a general MIDI soundtrack. They're so 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 good. They make reference to the themes from the previous games and they kind of riff on them a little bit. They have small variations that indicate the tone of the scene of the scene and uh depending on which characters might be present in the scene. I'm just so very impressed with his Space Quest Seven soundtrack, so I'll be happy to link that in the show notes. Um, and the other uh, uh, Danish, I was going to say Denmarkian. You silly you silly Danes, why can't we call you Denmarkian instead of Danish? The other Denmarkian composer that I wanted to uh, prop was Fred Olsen. Uh, who, whose name also sounds awesome in Danish, and I can't pronounce it properly, so Trolls or Fred, you, you yourself, I would love to hear the correct, correct pronunciation of uh, that name. Um, he, I, I, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe this is his band, and it might be him solo, has a band called Tidal Force, T-I-D-A-L. Um, he has two free albums on Bandcamp, and I think they might be on Spotify too. They're sort of like, they're sort of like a, a synth I don't know, they're like synthesizer, atmospheric kind of music with guitar and percussion and stuff like that. I would say they're, they kind of remind me of like this place somewhere between Jan Hammer, and who did the Police Quest 3 soundtrack and the Miami Vice uh, theme song, and like that popcorn song. You know that. You have, you have a, an album with popcorn on, don't you? Yep. So they're phenomenally good, phenomenally good albums. Some of their songs are like four or five minutes long. Some of their songs are like 25 minutes long. And you just don't want it to end. It's a it's terrific ideal music for working and just for chilling out or whatever. Mm-hmm. I'll be very happy to put those in the show notes. So go Denmark and go Denmarkians. Thank you for your awesome sounds. But particularly thank you to uh, whatever I said your name was, Jakob Schmid, <laughs> who did uh, the 140 soundtrack. Because that just... That just hits me in all the right spots. It's exactly the kind of electronic music that I love so much. He uses just the right instruments in just the right way, and that's such a rare treat. All right. Was there one more thing that you wanted to say about what you played, or should we get to our topic? Well, first of all, I forgot that I, I started playing Max Payne 3 as well. Oh, right. For a short while. Yes, and I still want to play it. Now I have the conundrum of what do I play now because I've started a bunch of games. 
I know. First Stupid. world. That is the first worldiest of first world problems. First isn't world it? nerd problems. Totally. Ugh, it's it's Steam's fault for having its stinking sale. I know. Screw you, Steam. <laughs> Whatever. Um. But, oh, but you can share the reason why you're not able to play Max Payne Three. Because my computer overheated on it when it's only eighteen or twenty degrees out. So. Wah, wah. <laughs> so I've got to get a CPU cooler, which. Which I've been meaning to do for a few weeks anyways. Yeah, it was the same story for me when I built my new i7 PC. It would overheat way too quickly. I don't know why it overheats so easily. So I we together installed a water cooler. And it was really, really hard to do. It almost killed us. But we got it in there. So now we got to do it again for your... Uh, what do you have, an 8-core AMD? 4 yep. gigahertz? That's a wicked CPU. And, of course, we shouldn't forget to mention we played her story as well. Oh, damn. Her story. How did we? How did we almost not mention that? Okay, let's talk quickly about it because then we can. Uh, but we can't go into talk too much because that whole because once you go into too much, you spoil it for anyone who hasn't played it. All right. So why don't we whet everyone's appetite by just kind of telling them what sort of a game it is, how you play it, and what it's similar to? Okay. Well, how do you even describe it? Because it's not. It's no action. It's. Basically, you're playing a person sitting at a computer. <laughs> I love that, by the way. I love a game where you are someone sitting at a computer and you play it by being a person sitting at a computer. Yeah, so you're this person sitting at a computer. As the player yourself, you don't know who the person is sitting at a computer. Occasionally, if you've hit stumbled upon the right keyword or right clip, you see this like, sort of a bit of a reflection. Sometimes you see flashing lights in the background. I think they, I could consider those police car lights. Anyway, so this as this person sitting at a computer, the first thing you see when you log in is a database, like a, a police database. Oh, and a text file that shows, right? Yeah, and two text files that explain what you that you only have uh, half of this uh, half of the uh, information available to you in the form of these files, and so the info the files that you do have available to you are of the. Uh, victim or the suspect being interrogated by the police detective. The detective's files are missing. And the other file gives you instructions on how to search for videos. So when you start off, there's a search term in the box that says murder, and you have four videos present. And each video has a woman in it, and she's being interrogated about the murder of Simon. Every And, and so your objective, once you've viewed these four videos, is to find it is to fill in the blanks. So what starts off is what you think is a murder mystery, perhaps, turns into, I don't even know how to begin to describe it, it just unravels this whole, ta this whole elaborately woven tapestry. Well, I guess what's unique about the presentation is that you're kind of spoon-fed the story in tiny little chunks. They're like little video clips that are between, like, three minutes, sorry, three seconds and maybe two or three minutes of the very, very longest ones. Um, and they're clips of a bunch of, like, different interviews, so you don't, it's not for a while until you realize, like, which clips correspond to which interviews and at what point of time uh, you're, you're hearing this little bit of the story. Mm -hmm. So you sort of digest the story in this uh, non-linear, out-of-sequence way. And you kind of make certain assumptions about what you're watching, mm -hmm. but then you'll and you you invoke these clips by doing a little search in the database, and if the word that you search for appears is spoken by the subject who is being interviewed, then that's what uh, has it appear in your search results. 
So you kind of make assumptions about what's going on, but then she'll say something, and you kind of reevaluate everything that you've heard, and you kind of have to keep the threads of the story uh, straight. Yeah, in in your mind, because there's no real way. There, there's no very good way, anyway, in the game to, mm-hmm. to put it in order. So that's so rewarding. It's very rewarding, and once you get to the, and as you get closer to the end, you realize you're starting. You run. You're starting to run out of keywords. You have to really start to think outside the box, and you okay. have to figure out just who this woman is that she, that's being interviewed in these videos. Mm-hmm. So why don't we leave it at that so that yeah. we don't spoil anything? But mm-hmm. Bianca and I played it together, and. Uh, if you have the opportunity, this is the sort of game that I think a non-gamer would find really interesting. Anyone who likes a murder mystery or investigation would be intrigued by this game. So if you have the opportunity to play this with a friend or with a loved one, this is a terrific game that will provoke a lot of conversation and uh, theorizing. Yeah. It, it's very rewarding in that fashion. Yeah. All right. Uh, shall we properly introduce and talk about our main topic? I think it's about time. I think it's probably past time, but <laughs> we'll do whatever the shit we want, because it's our friggin' show, you jerks. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, so as we mentioned at the beginning, today we're going to talk about The Sims. Um, the Sims... Do you want to describe in a nutshell what The Sims is? The Sims is making the life that you've always wanted, basically. So, create yourself and make your perfect life, or if you're... Or if you're a malicious asshole like me, you make you create your enemies and torment them until they're writhing and dead on the ground. <laughs> Basically, it's just a way to recreate... You can just recreate the world around you. It's it's just a nice way to uh, go in and live in a virtual world where everything is... It's, it's, everything kind of feels like our world, but you know that, in a way, it's not. It's just a nice little uh, universe. started out originally in Sims 1 as Dollhouse, and uh, Will Wright was the creator of this game. Was inspired after he had lost his own house in a fire and had to rebuild everything, including you know getting all the furniture, the decorations, and just rebuilding from scratch. Mm-hmm. So I don't really have much to say about the first Sims. I tried it for about five minutes once. I just couldn't get into it because it, it, the graphics just weren't doing it for me. And it was you're everyone's an adult. There's no age or progression. It didn't really feel like much. That was kind of my take on it, too. I first learned about The Sims... I, it was probably from PC Gamer magazine. I guess it was around 1998 or 1999, because it had been in development for quite some time, and as I understand it, they kind of scrapped some ideas and rewrote some things and changed a lot of things before it was ultimately released. Um, it sounded to me in PC Gamer like an amazing, awesome game that I could, I could just play... Unli- like for an unlimited time that would would be endlessly fascinating um, it's like a simulation sandbox sort of a game where you control one or more real people in like the real modern current world in modern times and you live in a neighborhood and you have a job and you have to keep yourself healthy and happy and entertained and comfortable and just live your life clean you live- <laughs> Yeah, you have to clean your... Well, you don't have to clean, but you, you probably should clean. Mm-hmm. And so, everything that I read about this game sounded utterly, amazingly fascinating to me. Like, one of the things that I read was that they had hired psychologists and linguists and all of these uh, people that studied humanity in its various forms, psychologically and, and, uh, and like, physiology and stuff like that. They made a lot of references 
to oh I can't even remember what it's called now uh, Maslow's hierarchy of needs which is like mm-hmm. if you have to if you have to like eat eat drink and pee all at the same time you're gonna pee first then you're gonna drink and then you're gonna eat something like that depending on the urgency of these different things human psychology dictates that if you have these needs at the same time you'll do this one first um, that that was sort of the underlying logic behind the game I believe and then on top of that the player could do whatever they wanted um, the most fascinating thing to this day and I think the most compelling aspect of the Sims in general through all its sequels and permutations is the fact that there's really no way to win or lose the game there's unless of course you decide that you have specific objectives that are going to, that dictate whether you win or lose that's right there are emer- there's like uh, emergent goals that you can set for yourself and I think the further you get into the series the more the goals are defined for you and the more you're incentivized to do specific tasks but even so the overarching goal is to live your life however you want to and so if you want to make a, like a world renowned doctor who makes a ton of money and is good to society and treats people kindly and has a lot of children and provides for them and makes a whole legacy and a nest egg for them then you can do that but if you want to be a gross slob who <laughs> sits on the couch all day plays who, video games yeah doesn't doesn't make any money has things repossessed because they don't have the money to maintain the things that they buy impulsively and you don't clean and you get sick because you don't clean enough and you have buzzing flies around your house and cockroaches and yeah. unwashed dishes and unmade beds <laughs> you can aspire to that and you can do that it's not a bad thing it's just a thing so I just love that about The Sims. Mm-hmm. So that being said, I was like drooling and daydreaming about playing The Sims when I read about it. And I gave it a try, and it interested me, like you said, for like half an hour, and I totally stopped caring, and I don't really know why. Um, I just don't know why. My girlfriend at the time, what better topic than when you're on a podcast with your wife, is to talk <laughs> about your ex-girlfriend. She totally got hooked on Sims 1, and she would play it impulsively like she would she would play like extensively all the time and uh was uh, was super into it and kept showing me all of these aspects of it that were super fascinating to her anyway and somehow it just didn't click with me and i don't know if it's the fact that every person was the same age you could only be like a young ad- I, I, I wouldn't say a young adult but you can only be like a an adult who's like 30 years old that's the only that's the only kind of a person you could be everyone was the same height and there was a good variation of clothes and of the way that your guy looked and all the activities you could do. It was a 2D game kind of on a 3D isometric plane. Mm-hmm. So it was there were 2D sprites, which made it a lot easier for modding, by the way, because if you wanted to make a mod and add an object to the world, you just had to uh, draw on this object from like the four different diagonals, like northwest, northeast, southwest, southeast. Mm-hmm and make some functionality around it. That was a relatively very easy way to to, to put something into the game. That worked for clothing as well. Yep. A friend of mine actually modded the first Sims. Oh, yeah. And was disappointed and found that modding the Sims 2 was more difficult for her, him. Yeah. It's, it's exponentially more difficult than the later ones because they were 3D models, and so you had to make them look proper from every angle, and if it was interactive, then it had to be interactive from every angle, stuff like that. So Sims 1 was like a golden age for modders, and I have very vivid memories of my ex-girlfriend showing me, oh, check out this mod I got, and it made all the men walk around naked with (laughs) 
humongous erect penises. <laughs> so every man in the whole wide world. And she she had Spider-Man with a big erect penis. She had Jean-Luc Picard with a big erect penis. So that was... Uh, disturbing? Yeah. It was disturbing. Yeah. So. That, that's I think about as much as... I mean, and Sims 1 had a whole bunch of expansions. It sold unbelievably well. It, I think to this day it's still credited as the top-selling game of all time, or at least that would have been before uh, smartphone games, I suppose. Mm-hmm. But I heard that they sort of cheated at that. They said that it sold, I don't even remember, something like 130 million copies, but that they actually included the expansion packs as well, some of which would go on to be on sale for like $2. But all the same, like an impressive number of people played the game. Different demographics of people played the game that wouldn't ordinarily play games, and mm-hmm. it kind of developed stigmas around it where real gamers, quote-unquote, would say that real gamers don't play a game like that, yeah. when in fact, I like RPGs, I like shooters, I like adventure games, and I think The Sims is awesome. Yeah. But just not the first one, because I couldn't get into it. Yeah. But the second one, that's the one we really got into. The second Sims came out in 2004. Oh, that was the one that really got me. Like, the first time being, like, the 3D models, like, it felt like, ooh, these are pe- it felt like more people than just sprites. And so, you could customize these people, well, not too extensively, I mean... Pretty darn well, though. It had pretty a, darn well. It you had could, a great uh, guy creator, Sim... What's it called? Create a Sim? Yeah, Cass. Right, Create a Sim, Well, Cass. from the... In terms of the way the Sim looked, neck up, you could customize them. From the neck down, you had three options. Skinny, chubby, and fat. Oh, and, and that's even right. the fat was, it was kind of... It's just really a, a rather round pudgy. It wasn't even, like, fat. That's right. Although it also added ages... Yes, that was amazing. It started off, you know, you could have an infant. They went to toddler. Oh, yeah, the toddlers. I'm a toddler. I'm going to play in the toilet. Splash, splash, splash. Yeah, toddlers love playing in toilets. Only if their mood was bad. If they if they had a bad mood, they go and play in your toilet. Didn't playing in the toilet fulfill, like, half of the toddler's needs? Uh, yeah. It's like being a... You don't have to be a parent. All you need <laughs> is a toilet, and your kid will grow up well-adjusted. <laughs> well, only if they haven't, uh, you know, learned to walk, talk, and shit properly. Oh. Yes. <laughs> then there's kids, teenagers, and adults. They actually added and elders. Elders, and in the uh, when and in the first expansion pack, they added in young adults. But that uh, but that age bracket was only available if you actually went to university. Oh, that's right. Yeah. We're getting ahead of ourselves anyway, but uh, true. But I figured I'd just add it in right now. Oh, so because it was a three D rendered, that meant that you could see your Sims from all angles, and you could also rotate the camera. In ways other than just those ninety degree angles, which was nice too. Yeah, so you and you could adjust zoom, up and down yeah. and zoom all around it to, to find night degree or yeah, fine degrees. Yep, and you could adjust your furniture, a hundred three hundred sixty degrees. That's right, but by far the most important aspect of Sims Two is the fact that your character visibly ages and goes through the different stages of life and has different activities. Whereas and has very and has wants. That, are, that correspond with that age and whatever they aspire to at that point. That's right. As opposed to Sims 1 where you're always this 30-year-old. You're born and you're a 30-year-old, you live to the age of 30 for a while, and then you die as an old 30-year-old, sort of. At least, like, cosmetically, physically. Mm-hmm. But it, this, it's a big deal. Yeah. But in the second Sims, so you can die of old age, but then there's a number of wonderful different ways you can die. Of course, in the, in the without the expansions, you see... You can die of old age. You can die uh, from being electrocuted for trying to 
repair your appliances with uh, your electronic appliances with almost no mechanical or handy ability. Or if you're just unlucky. Yep. You can get electrocuted. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Or you can die by. Uh, hmm. Let's see. Well, there was drowning. You could. You could be starved. You could. Uh, oh, my favorite. I had a. Sl I had a slovenly sim, and uh, I didn't clean up for a while, and they got consumed by the flies that were around their garbage. Oh, that's right. That's gross. Yeah, you get eaten like you get eaten by cockroaches or something. Yep. That's nasty. Um, let's see. You could drown your sim. So if you got tired of sim, you build a, a very small pool, put the sim in, and take out the ladder and let them drown. Usually oh. they drown because they got mm -hmm. exhausted. <laughs> that's the that's the famous one, I think. Dr killing your sim by drowning. Yep. There's oh, did you say burning? Oh, burning. Oh yeah. Let's see, there are two ways to burn your sim. They could, you know, set the stove on fire, or if they were unlucky like certain sims, they could set themselves on fire cooking a baked Alaska. That's right. I think I told the story, but let me reiterate it quickly anyway. This I don't know if this was the first Sims 2 guy that I ever made. It, but was, it was the first one. Though. Okay. And I think I made him myself. There was one preset in the Sims 2 with a face that looked a lot like mine, with, like, chubby cheeks, and I don't know. It just looked a lot, like, uncannily like me, and so it was really easy for me to make a sim of myself, which is something that every nar narcissist has to do, right? You just have to. Mm -hmm. So I made myself, like, this successful this successful chef, and I was, like, in peak physical condition. I was totally ripped with big muscles and stuff <laughs> like that. It was, like, this pinnacle of humanity. Um, and I was doing well for myself financially, and... True in part because I had a money tree on my front lawn. You remember the money tree? <laughs> oh, yeah. I don't remember where it came from exactly, but... It came from the aspiration rewards. Like, once you achieved a certain number of aspiration points from fulfilling your wants, instead of uh, your... And uh, then you got uh, these aspiration awards, which included various things, such as the money tree, which is the first one available. Okay. So me, I want to show off to the neighborhood that I'm, I'm a big shot and I have a money tree. I put my money tree in my front yard. And every single day, <laughs> this stupid bitch would walk past my house, walk up to the money tree, pluck all the fruit, which of course are dollar bills that she put into the her pocket. They're not dollar bills; they're simoleons, which is such a cute name. Mm -hmm. I think that was, I think that was established in Sim City actually. Simoleons. That's a great name. Mm -hmm. um, she'd freaking harvest my tree and and go about her business, and this pissed me off to no end because I mean, I was already a rich man because of the fruits of my labors, and this. This sim, this money tree, gave you not very much money at all. But it was my not very much money, and I friggin' wanted it. And she was so, a leech. She was a leech, and so naturally, you know, you don't in face with a problem like this. You don't solve the problem by moving the tree into your backyard. No, you solve the problem by marrying the woman, and then when she steals the money, it goes into your wallet, right? So that's what I did, and it turned into a very wonderful, beautiful, fulfilling relationship. We like were married happily, and her skills were progressing, and my skills were progressing. I'd become this world-famous chef with cookbooks and stuff like that. And so I wanted to show off to my dearest beloved by making her the most difficult dessert of all, the baked Alaska, in our incredible mansion home kitchen at home. It's, like, bigger than, than the, the whole house that I uh, started off with. In the beautiful luxury kitchen, you know, all the best appliances, of all course. All the best appliances being manipulated by the most skillful possible of professional chefs. 
So I make the baked Alaska, I cook the whole thing, and the finishing touch of the baked Alaska is that you drop a match onto it and whoosh, it like flambes into this big conflagration of fire. And so I drop the match on it, it lights my face on fire, which lights the rest of me on fire. I writhe around screaming in my kitchen. And, and your wife's then there screaming and uh, pointing at you, not doing anything. Exactly. And then all that's left, and then poof, I turn into this little pile of ash. <laughs> And that was the end of that was the end of Sim Brian number one, and I'll never forget it because it just makes for such a good story. But of course, most of all, because it was my chubby cheeked little doppelganger, so I got to see my own my own demise. And if I ever have to die, I hope it's by dessert. I think the strangest death I ever had for a Sim was, okay, I had a male Sim, he, and uh, I had him cooking dinner. He just okay. I had him cooking dinner, and he's chopping. Occasionally, when your sim doesn't have very good cooking skills, they'll accidentally nick themselves. Well, apparently, it was possible for him to nick his finger one too many times that he grabbed his hand and died on the spot. Yeah, that's right. He, like, I'm, chopped his finger off and bled to death or something while making a salad. Yeah. And the, wor- the weirdest part of all was, as you, if for those of you who played Sims 2, you'll probably remember the alien abductions. Mm. He had... My male sim was pregnant from the stupid alien abductions <laughs> and died at the second trimester having cut his finger because he couldn't cook for shit. Oh. So now he was haunting the house where two other sims lived and he would raid their fridge. Because when you die... <laughs> you come back, you die however you are. So if you die pregnant, you're gonna, your ghost is going to be pregnant. And if you die hungry, then your ghost is going to be famished? And he's gonna, they're going to take from your fridge. That's right. If they dive all day, they simply just sort of float around the house, occasionally haunting an object, but not going out of their way to torment or bother anybody. Mm-hmm. So beyond that, let's see, what other... Uh... Well... Oh, speaking of the alien abductions, which uh, which I believe happened by looking through your telescope at the night? The best one, the, the, the good one. There were two telescopes, the uh, cheap one ah. and the expensive one. But there's also a way to die by using the telescope. Remember? Was this from Sims 2? Which was to have a freak accident of a satellite fall out of space and land right on you. Oh, yeah, that was a later expansion, I think. Okay. Yeah. But, yeah, you... That's pretty awesome. Mm-hmm. That, I had that happen a few times. Or you could have a satellite or meteor fall on you if you were just looking at the sky. <laughs> as, as is the case in mm-hmm. real life. Sure. And, let's see, then there were all the NPCs that you had to deal with. Me being who I am, I had, my, I of course, created myself and uh, my spouse for some reason. Oh, I wasn't your spouse at the time. <laughs> I was I was your boyfriend at the time, yeah. 2004. Okay, yeah, my uh, significant other, I should say. I forgot. <laughs> well, I'm not significant anymore? No. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I created, we created ourselves in my game and uh, decided, okay, I'll have a nice little family of, of uh, with a couple of kids. Ugh. <laughs> Only I at four I came out. It had uh, twins on the first one, a boy and a girl. The girl was nice, was decent looking. The boy was hideous. I'm like, okay, we'll have one more just you know for good luck. And it turned out two more subsequent children later. Two subsequent children later, all the boys were ugly as sin. Only the girl was good looking. So oh, and didn't they have like those characteristic chubby cheeks <laughs> from the preset? Ugh. Those cheeks, they're just, you couldn't tear your eyes away from them. No, you couldn't, and it polluted 22 generations. Twenty. Okay, so let's, let's, 
let's consider the significance of this here, okay? Okay. So, yeah, of 22 generations. So this is how extensively my dear girlfriend at the time played the bloody Sims. The, the, the fact that you could, like, have children who would start off as babies and grow up to be adults and then elders, and they would have their own children. That meant that you could actually have family trees. You could actually have generations of people. Mm-hmm. Now, most people don't play this game for 22 generations in the same neighborhood, because they call it a neighborhood for a reason. It's because there's finite space, there's a finite number of people in the neighborhood. So that means that if you procreate quite enough, there's nothing but your family... <laughs> In that neighborhood. And because there's no story progress, the only sims that age up oh, are the right. ones that you have in your active household. That's right. So I had aged up my starting household so that the uh, parents got old and died a respectable death, having achieved their lifetime uh, wants and needs and everything. I moved the, uh, the, the oldest girl out, left the uh, three useless uh, boys at home. Uh, had her move in with somebody. Actually, she didn't move in with anybody. She was just a slut. She had seven kids and then uh, ultimately died because she had so many kids to feed that she couldn't get around to feeding herself. <laughs> she died of starvation feeding her kids. She may be a slut, but that's a devoted mother. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Her kids came from, at least, I think the kids came all from the same man. But, okay, but she still had her her genes from her lineage Parents. with the chubby cheeks and all, right? Yeah. The girls were mostly spared. There's a bit of chubby cheek chubby cheekiness, but the girls were mostly spared. The boys were cursed. Mm-hmm. So I had so by the time the mom died, I had three teenagers four uh three teen uh, three teenagers, three children, and a toddler. Mm-hmm. Which means that I had to hire a nanny because mom was no longer there and mom was no longer working. The nannies, oh, don't get me started on the nannies. They were, they, they were, there was one good nanny in the entire game and the rest were a bunch of decrepit old mom. Oh, that's right. They were old biddies. They were people who would, eat, they would eat your food and watch your TV and neglect your children. And then, they wouldn't clean up, yep, and then then they wouldn't clean up after themselves. Oh, right. So you had to hire a maid to clean up after the nanny and the yep. maids were, would. There's only one or two good maids, and the rest would eat your food and watch your TV, too. Yeah, and they would talk to the nanny, and they'd sit on your couch. Oh, that's right. You'd pay two people to talk to each other and <laughs> neglect their jobs. Mm-hmm. That was always funny. Yeah. But fortunately, the uh, social worker didn't take away your children when you were leaving them in the care of the nanny. She only took them away when you failed to make sure that your kids did their homework. Mm-hmm. So as long as your kids weren't getting an F, and as long as... The children weren't getting enough in school, then the uh, social worker wouldn't come. It didn't matter if your teenager flunked the crap out of high school. As long as the uh, kids weren't flunking elementary school, that's all that mattered. That's that, right. And are the kids starving? Are th- if your kids starved or flunked school or had their social needs unfulfilled, then the uh, social worker would come and take everyone who wasn't a teenager or adult away. Oh, but let's finish your story about the generations. So, anyways, I would have this. I think it would have gone beyond the twenty second or twenty third generation had I had not lost my save game. Mm-hmm. But 
I never, I could never get rid of the stupid cheeks, and for some reason, one of my sims started talking. It happened that I was about ten generations in, and I hadn't killed off the second generation. <laughs> you had a thousand-year-old mother or something? No, I had a thousand-year-old uh, son, one of the mutants. Okay. He started. <laughs> they they hit off with the. I didn't realize it, and then they're like. Um, I started running out of space and no other sims in the city and so I had to take so my girl she wanted to marry had to marry her great 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 uncle just to pollute the gene pool even further yeah so then and this is in a town that's already completely populated with a bunch of chubby cheek freaks that all come from patient zero which is me yep that's gross, dude. And at one point, they were even scattered into the university when I got that expansion pack. Oh. It was a Brian virus. <laughs> it was a Brian virus, all right. <laughs> but yeah, I eventually lost my save game and had to reinstall. You were just... pretty upset about that, as I recall. Yeah, I was. I mean, he'd be tw- except, too, if you had a 23-generation uh, legacy going, even if it was polluted. I think it's inevitable that if you play The Sims enough, you're going to lose your save game one way or another. And I think it bothered me the first time, and then after that, I kind of welcomed it as a way to start over fresh. Mm-hmm. Yeah, first time, I was devastated. Um, only one time did I ever, actually, after that, be a little bothered by it. Most of the times, it was just, okay, whatever. Hmm. Uh, what else can we say about Sims 2? Oh, yes. The aspir- the uh, Lifetime Rewards. Oh, right. So, Leia, we mentioned before that Money there was... Money Tree? Mm-hmm. Most... I found that a few of them weren't very good, but uh, I so like... These so, were, these were points that you got for accomplishing short-term goals? Yes. You didn't really have long-term goals in the first one. Right. So, you would have a little... One part of the UI at the bottom would have some short-term goals that you could do. What were they? Were they, like, clean your house or plant a tree or go to work? Was it stuff like that? Yep, it was, and most of the time, and but it was tied into what your, uh, it was tied into what your basic aspiration was, which was, uh, Oh, right, which you establish when you're, when you're born or whatever, or when you grow up? Uh, you establish it when you become, uh, an, a teen or, an, or you, you establish your aspiration as a teenager. Right. Can you give an example of an aspiration? Romantic. Oh, right. Basically, the only thing you ever want to do is is date, kiss, and fuck. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, it's not fuck. It. It's... Woohoo! Woohoo. <laughs> this is woohooing is, is doing the nasty in The Sims. And uh, the primary uh, conduit for this was the bed or the shower. Mm-hmm. Eventually expanded to include uh, elevators, fo- photo booths, uh, cars. When they introduced the cars later, the car was primarily used if the you have if you were like me and for some reason you decided to make your Sims procreate like rabbits. Mm-hmm. Um, what else was there? Then there was popularity. Have X number of friends. The goal was to have twenty friends, which is good if you were if you needed to have friends for work. So that was achievable when you uh, realized that you need X number of friends for work. Yeah, that's right. For some jobs, in order to, for I think it was for all jobs, in order to get a promotion, you had to have a certain number of friends. That was one of the prerequisite criteria. Yeah. That got really annoying, especially if your job, if you're like in the military or something, and you want to get promoted from like to a sergeant or something, you needed to have like three more friends. That was very annoying, and it kind of felt like an impediment to progress. 
Although some other jobs, like politician business, it's kind of made a bit of sense. Those made a lot of sense. Because, you know, influence business world, knowing the right people, networking. And uh, then there is, of course, uh, Fortune. The, uh, dig, uh, they're not quite gold digging, just going out there and earning all your money. Mm-hmm. One probably the easiest one. Go to work, earn money, get promotions. Yeah, that's right. You are you are happy by making money, and you're gonna make money pretty much no matter how you play the game, unless you go out of your way to avoid it. So that was the easiest one, I think. Mm-hmm. Knowledge is probably easier than that because all you had to do was uh, get a skill or learn something. Mm-hmm. And that's true. That was easy too. Mm-hmm. Family was also very easy. Mm-hmm. Well, says you. Oh, so this is an interesting aspect of the game, too. Um, having, oh, I don't want to talk about my ex-girlfriend anymore. I'll just talk about you. Okay. I'll just say that you and I play our, play the game pretty differently. Yes, we do. You tend to play in families, and you have generations and legacies, and children will inherit the parents' house. And vast fortune. To it. Vast fortune, becoming vaster and vaster. <laughs> Whereas I tend to play as a single person for the most part and I, I, I'll, I'll play as either a man or a woman it doesn't really matter it's kind of interesting playing either way and you can be heterosexual or homosexual oh and I'll talk more or about pansexual. that in a minute <laughs> yeah that's right um, so I play usually just as a single person and even if I get married I tend to just leave the other person I won't say idle but it's like if you marry someone, they become a controllable character in your household, but if you don't give a sim instructions, they have autonomy and they will do their own stuff. They'll, they'll go to work and they'll take care of themselves and they'll pee and poo and stuff. Um, so that's what I tend to do. So that's how we play the game differently. Mm-hmm. I did want to, by the way, mention quickly the uh, topic of homosexuality. Did you read this recently, by the way? Uh, maybe. Um, and it's timely in, in terms of this final, thank goodness, eventual uh, permission of uh, gay people to get married in the USA. Yep. About damn time. We've been doing that for how long in Canada? Ten years? At least. Yeah, well, good Good job, US. I kind of like that our country leads in some social uh, freedoms and the US leads in others. They yeah. have, they have uh, marijuana legalization in some of their states before mm-hmm. we have any. That's kind of cool that we, yeah. we, we race for those. Anyway, um... I've heard more than once in video games about homosexual relationships and whether it should be permitted, stuff like that, or whether it was even possible. And a recurring theme seems to be that, at least in computer games, if any relationships are possible through some kind of like algorithmic autonomy, it's typical that two people will fall in love, but it, it's independent of their genders. It just kind of makes the most sense in terms of computer logic that if two people get to know each other that they will fall in love and be together and want to be together. And you have to kind of go out of your way and program additional logic in order to make sure that those two people are of two different genders, for example. So this was the case apparently in Sims 1. And uh, there were a whole bunch of different versions of the Sims 1 design document. Uh, originally completely written by Will Wright and then augmented by his fellow uh, associate designers and then more so by uh, Electronic Arts, which was the publisher. I believe they'd already purchased the Maxis studio by then. Um, 
Usually the way that goes is that the developer adds a whole bunch of features, they remove whatever features won't be achievable or aren't fun, and then the, pu the publisher will add a few other things on as well, which probably screw everything up and make it more complicated or do things for political reasons, for example. So one of the things that EA kind of objected to was the fact that it was possible to have homosexual relationships in the game. Not because EA is a bad company or because they were prudish or anything, but they just didn't know if they wanted the responsibility of being like the first game where this, like the first big AAA popular game where this was a possibility. They, it was kind of accepted that it was inevitable that some game would be the catalyst, it would be the icebreaker for this concept. And they didn't necessarily want to be that very first one because there's a big responsibility around that. So EA, the publisher, kind of wrote into the design documents that they wanted to avoid that, at least for now. Um, however, one of the artificial intelligence programmers hired by Will Wright had an older version of the design document, and this uh, AI uh, programmer was, at the time, preparing a demo for the upcoming E3 show. Um, and programmed it just according to the parameters specified in his design document. And as luck would have it, you know, it's, uh, it's a tricky thing to have a great big show and to show your uh, product and for your product to be anything but like a pre-rendered on-the-rails experience. That's kind of the antithesis of The Sims because it's a sandbox. It's a kind of an environment where anything could possibly happen. And so, as luck would have it, um, while one of the speakers was just talking and the press were looking at the game in the background, two women uh, who were friends and they were kind of having a conversation, they uh, embraced and they kissed. And every all the journalists kind of stopped listening to what the person was saying all of a sudden and just started taking a million photographs of the screen and asking about it. And then EA was pressed to talk about it. It had already been established. And if they changed their mind about whether same-sex relationships should be allowed in the game, then that would have been very negatively reflected upon them. And so they decided to keep it in the game. So that was kind of a groundbreaking moment in video game history right there. Just some autonomous AI quirk occurred at a, an ad advantageous uh, time. Mm -hmm. So yes, in The Sims 2, you could uh, have a same-sex relationship, but they didn't refer to... But I noticed initially they didn't refer to them as husband and wife. But as a marital, but as a life, they didn't, I don't think they call it life partner, but they called it uh, like, spouse. I think yes, they used the term spouse, which yeah. I thought was appropriate for homo or hetero mm -hmm. uh, marriages. I believe they just call the other person spouse mm -hmm. on the family tree. Yep. So that was interesting. That uh, that uh, I found in Sims Two was, oh, I'm not constrained to uh, just male female relationships. So I did have a couple of uh, gay Sims in there. And I did adopt, but it didn't do. That was after I lost my uh, extensive family tree. Hmm. Moving on. Oh yeah, I was gonna say a couple of the uh, aspiration work that I really liked for besides the money tree. Let's see. What was it? Oh yeah, the uh, homo the uh, pastures homogeneous smart milk. It was a little container that oh, you could yeah. leave in the toddler's room. This was kind of gross. <laughs> it was really, it, the parent would come in, prepare this milk. In order to use the milk, the parent had to have a gold or platinum uh, mood. Mood. 
and to produce it. Otherwise, they'd make sort of like red milk, and the kid would then get miserable if they drank it. Yeah, right. The purpose of this milk was what? To make your kids learn faster? Yeah. So it was like this <laughs> glowing green milk. <laughs> It looks. It was like these, you're feeding these kids like this bottle of super snot. It was gross. Yeah. So if you were, if you had the right, if your sim had the right mood, and they fed it to your, their kid, the kid would then go platinum and start to glow. So if the kid was previously miserable, the kid could start to glow and have a platinum mood, and it would allow them to learn faster. We then dis- we then figured out that you could pair this with the thinking cap that the parent wore. And it made uh, it possible to actually teach the kid to talk, walk, and even potty train faster than they normally would. Oh, potty training was so tedious. At one point, I just didn't even bother in the second The Sims 2 until I uh, discovered this combination. I just let the kid uh, soil themselves. Yeah, that's right. They actually made some promises. I remember reading this in a preview edition, uh, or a preview article in PC Gamer, that initially they wanted to make it so that if you didn't teach a child how to walk, then as an adult they would still crawl. Or if you didn't potty train an adult, well, I don't even remember what happens, but I can, I'm can i sure my imagination is probably better than the reality might have been. Mm-hmm. In the end, what happened if you didn't teach them those things? Nothing so serious. No, but uh, they didn't... Uh... Oh, was it that they didn't get a trait that they could choose to establish the complexity of their character or something? Um, that was in Sims 3 that they didn't get it. Uh, oh. That they didn't uh, get some additional stuff. But in the Sims 2... When you aged up and you didn't uh, have any of this stuff, you were often miserable and you would immediately plummet in your, uh... You had a little bar that would uh, range from red, which was, you know, being the, on the dredges of society, to being platinum, where you were absolutely ecstatic in your life. If you were green, you were good. It's like, everything's good. So this is just your mood, based on what you've been doing and yep. whether it's what you want to do. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, the, uh, so... The kids, so if you had platinum going in, you would you got additional stuff, and you just were considered to be doing really well. Um, I didn't really care for many, many of the other things, although I did use the uh, counterfeiting machine. It came out with the university expansion pack. Oh, yeah. It was fun. I got caught a few times, but I also set the machine on fire. You, you, could, you could set it on fire if you used it for more than three hours. So it was like a crank. It was a machine with a crank, and you would turn the crank, and money would plop out of it. Yep, and your sin would laugh like an evil. Con- would just laugh <laughs> oh, as they great. did it. That's and funny. it was a good way if you had a sim in university for them to get money after they ran out, because they blew their scholarships on having a house living by themselves because right. you didn't want to live in a dormitory. That's right. I can't. Remember, I think is that called a mimeogram? The kind of a machine that lets you make copies of written things on paper. I don't. Know. I think so. Yeah. Okay. And, of course, the jobs were jobs, but the only one that was really amusing was the slacker career. Basically, you, you got paid to do next to nothing. What did you have to do to make money? Um, you went to work, and that was it. Most of your jobs were, you know, convenience store clerk, uh, golf caddy. Eventually, the top one was uh, party animal. Oh, that's great. Which paired up later with an aspiration introduced in... Uh, Nightlife, and uh, what was it? Uh, yeah, nightlife, which was pleasure. So you could make pleasure in slacker. So you could be a pleasure-seeking sim with the slacker job. And it was just the perfect combination for <laughs> someone who wanted the most out of life without having to do anything to get it. Oh, now we're forgetting. You just reminded me that we've forgotten to mention my very favorite aspiration of all. I'll get to that in a moment. We'll... Oh, pardon me. Yeah. But first, my, fir- my, the, my probably... 
one of my favorite expansion packs, but in the first one was University. Me too, I think. Mm-hmm. I, for the most part, I I would the ch- I would not necessarily put my Sims in a house by themselves. I liked having roommates. I even tr- I even uh, did the whole Greek thing and got into a sorority, and of course I lived in a dormitory. No, no, talk about Sims and dormitories would be complete without the following tale. Yay! I shall entitle this Realm of Torment. Yay! I love this. The story. name is inspired by a yeah. Uh, End of end game content in Guild Wars <laughs> factions. It's called, and they have in the it was Arena Net who introduced Realm of Torment. It was basically this really dark area with really difficult enemies, and you needed to uh, have a good head on your shoulders to get through that area without dying a million times. It was basically a raid, wasn't it? It was sort of a raid, but not in, but it was. I wouldn't have. It was like an open area in Guild Wars. It's halfway between a raid and a zone. Yeah. Okay. So. I called this dormitory. So I called this, <laughs> this dormitory realm of torment for a very good reason. This dormitory was a twenty-eight person dormitory, but unfortunately, at the time when this when the expansion came out, the AI was still a little on the slow side. Slow as in short bus, as as in a short yellow bus slow. <laughs> So some of the so I moved in two of my Sims, a girl and a boy. I think these were my third generation. Anyways, I moved them in, and the first thing that I notice after I get them all settled is it's going to be hard work to control both of these Sims. So I decide to let the boy go on his own, and I control the girl. Meanwhile, I'm watching all these other people come in, and they're taking up their rooms. Everything's going fine. About halfway through the semester, I start to see plates left behind, stuff getting broken. Eventually, someone forgets to feed themselves. And the Grim Reaper comes. The Grim Reaper then proceeds to take this guy away. Hmm. No, yeah, he just takes them away. I'm like, okay, a gravestone, whatever. Right, so that's what happens. There's no dead body that stays in the in the world. The Grim Reaper... You want to talk about how how you transition to death? Yeah. So after you experience whatever mode of death you will, the Grim Reaper comes along, checks his special little clipboard to see if it's your time, and uh, pulls your soul out of your decrepit body and announces that you're going into the afterlife. The only per, only time a sim is happy to see the Grim Reaper is when they're old. The Grim Reaper comes. He's got this these hula dancing girls. He hands you a. Uh, Cocktail. You pick up a suitcase, and he uh, leads you into the next life. Everyone else is begging not to go. And in fact, if you know a sim well enough, and they're not and they're not dying of old age, you can beg the Grim Reaper to restore them back to life. Sometimes the Grim Reaper denies you, but if the relationship is high enough, he will grant it. Anyway, so. The Grim Reaper comes, he takes a few corpses, he takes the guy away. I get a few. I've been since I played this. Since I played this, this is the multiple generation. So it lasted a couple of expansion packs. So I play this dormitory. By the time nightlife comes around, I have about um, I don't know, like twenty gravestones in the back. So this is this is the risk that you take living in a dormitory, I guess. This was the the product of the AI, right? The product of the AI. Like and, someone might. And me going to the same dormitory. Right, and, over and over. And, and in the process, actually killing a couple of my own, uh, my Sims' own uh, 
uncles. That's right. So the dormitory persists, and nobody really thinks to remove the gravestones. But, like, the product of the AI might be that, like, some party animal, uh, uh, 20-something sim, would leave an empty pizza box in front of the refrigerator. And the, the, no one could figure out that they had to remove the pizza box in order to open the refrigerator. So nobody ever ate. <laughs> or someone would, another party animal, uh, 20-something sim, would party so hard that they would be exhausted and fall asleep in front of the bath, like in the bathroom. And that meant that nobody could get around the sim to go to the toilet. Which means that they started peeing on the floor. They would pee all over. <laughs> and this was if the toilet wasn't already broken in another bathroom. Oh, and as flooding I, all over the floor. Yeah, as I mentioned, I was in a 28-room uh, dormitory. Oh. So there were supposed three or four bathrooms. But even still, they didn't stop anybody from uh, peeing on the floor. So anyways, by the time Nightlife came around, you had an op... When, it, when you clicked the stereo... One of your dance options was to smussle. So it became a thing that if you had a sim in a dormitory that your homework was all done and you were caught up for the semester, you could impose mandatory smussling. I forgot about that. This is so funny. So I had mandatory smussling going on. Um, we were now in the fifth generation. Because, yeah, I sent... I uh, didn't. Uh, I didn't. I actually would go back multiple times with different Sims. Can I elaborate on this muscle, by the way? Yeah. So this muscle, it was like this silly dance that you would do with hand motions and stuff. So you yourself would say, "Dance this muscle," and then you would click on some other NPC, some other person, uh, a resident of the dormitory, and you would say, "Invite this muscle." And that person, no matter what they were doing, they drop what they were doing, stand next to you, and start dancing with you in time. You could click like 23 people so that everyone in your house was just standing there dancing and ignoring whatever needs they had yeah. and invariably someone would have to pee and they would stop dancing and they would walk to the bathroom but you would click them and say invite to smussle and they would come back <laughs> and you could extend this invitation to the uh, school mascot the school cheerleader and the rival school cow Oh, and the stupid cow. There'd be some guy in a cow outfit, and because he was from the rival school, he would be like an offensive jackass. <laughs> and he could come into any... He would come into your dormitory, your sorority, or your Greek frat house. And just talk shit to you and piss you off. Or he would... Sometimes he actually walked into the house that you had on campus with one or... With no roommates or with one or two roommates. Right. So I would invariably... He would become my nemesis, and I would punch him in the face whenever I saw him. Mm -hmm. Stupid cow. I did kill him once. When I had a house on uh, campus that I could modify, I hit F3, built a wall around him, and left him in there to die. Nice. So, anyways, back to Realm of Torment. <laughs> I, uh, as I said, I would bring... I, I didn't progress. I had my, my regular Sims progressing in town, but sometimes I'd get, I wanted to uh, age up the rest of my uh, prior generation, so I'd bring them to the school. So, at one point, I uh, had... My second generation, third, and fourth generation all going to school at the same time. I had about five of my own Sims in this dormitory. So basically, basically you had like a kid, his child, and his grandchild. No, a kid, his uncle, and his great uncle. Okay, all going to all the same age, all going to school at the same time. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. But I would only focus on the current generation. Right. And so they would be going to school. I turned around one day. And I'm like, wait a second, who's this guy? Oh crap! One of my one of my legacy Sims just went tits up. Mm -hmm. And then from there, it became obvious that, and I'm like, why did he die? 
turns out that uh, the ghosts that had previous, the ghosts that we talked about earlier that had died there, were now starting to haunt the dormitory. That's right. And so, These, this is like 20 ghosts. 20 ghosts. But not all at once. So it wasn't a big deal. Like maybe three or four at the same time, which was manageable. Unfortunately, it quickly spiraled out of control because, first of all, the Sims didn't age or progress when I was off, when I was not playing. And so they would already be in a state of decrepitness. And any Sim incoming to replace somebody who died would invariably stop and freak out 20 or whatever, however, so many times. To <laughs> at the side of these graves. So for every grave, they would go, ah! Well, it was a ghost, not a grave, wasn't it? No, they freaked out the side of the grave. Look at the graves? Yeah. Right, so the Sims' natural reaction when they come to a, a gravestone, I guess, would then would be, if they would look at the gravestone, they would jump in the air and like put up their hands and go, ah! So if there were 20 or 30 or 50 gravestones, as became the case very quickly... Uh, yeah, I think my record at one point was at least like 59. So, someone would, a brand new, fresh-faced student would move into the dormitory, and in the front yard was a graveyard with 50-plus gravestones, yeah. and so that person would go... Ah, 50 times. Ah, ah, look at another one. Ah, turn around. Ah. Unfortunately, they would then proceed to block the entrance or exit to the lot, <laughs> and so you would wind up with a bunch of people standing there freaking out over every single grave. Ah, ah, ah. And... It became a regular thing for my for the Sims for two or three Sims to die a day because of shock from seeing too many gravestones, uh, from neglecting their needs because they were shocked over the gravestones, or because they were scared to death by a ghost. Right. And so the only Sims that made it out alive were the ones that I would inevitably control. <laughs> Eventually, I think three of my own legacy, second and third generation, wound up in this massive grave. <laughs> and that's what these people paid tuition for. <laughs> they really take their chances. Yep. But what surprised me was it didn't slow my game down. <laughs> yeah. That held up really well. It was a big lot. Had a lot of sims on it. Especially ghosts. Stuff being haunted. Just, just it was, Dormitory was in general neglect. I'm surprised the university didn't shut it down. By the way, since you mentioned uh, computers slowing down, should we talk about uh, what it was like to move between areas in Sims 2? Sure. Because we had loading screens. So many loading screens. It wasn't too bad at first. You had a loading screen to go in, and then you would get your game. And then let's say you had to go buy groceries. Fortunately, for the most part, you could order over the phone, and the guy brought it to the door. Yeah. But let's say you uh, were bored, you wanted to go out and buy clothes. Because you only had whatever... You basically had the clothes on your back. You literally had only the clothes on your back. So if you wanted new clothing, you had to go out and buy some. So, besides buying clothes, the only other way to get clothes was to uh, just age up. And these would automatically add it to the family's wardrobe. So, the, um, and uh, you would lose your wardrobe if you moved houses. Mm. But, if you stayed in the same house, you would keep the wardrobe, and the wardrobe would get passed down from generation to generation. Okay, but the point is that you would load the game, and it would load the building that you're in. So, if you had to go to, so when you had to go to a new lot, it would add a loading screen. But if you were going to a lot in an expansion pack, let's say you wanted to go to uh, the store in uh, the expansion pack of Open for Business, you would have the loading screen to take you off of your lot, and then you would have another loading screen for the store. So you had two loading screens just to get to where you were going, and each loading screen took progressively longer depending on how much content it had to load. Yeah, that's right. Or wasn't it, or how long 
your character had been alive or something, or how long the neighborhood had been established, because it was also, like, simulating the actions of everyone. No, I'm sorry, I'm getting my stories confused, because it didn't simulate the actions of anyone that wasn't in your currently active area. Right? Yeah. My bad, sorry. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it would compound a loading screen, depending on how far, how many expansion packs it had to load to, and content it had to generate. That's right. But it wasn't too bad. When you actually, at first you only had to call a cab, you had to call a cab if you wanted to go, but later expansions allowed you to actually use a car. That, that's if you wanted to leave your house. Because, of course, because of all the loading screens, the ideal strategy was... Never leave your house. That's right. So you would invest in a house and the little conveniences that you would need so that you basically had every little amenity that you would ever need for your whole life inside your house, yeah. so that you would never, ever have to leave your house ever. Yeah. And when you got sick of your clothes, you made sure you had enough money that you could buy about... You could buy outfits for every conceivable generation, so you had options. Of course, the only sim who never had any options for clothes was the uh, female when she got pregnant, and she wore the same hideous outfit. Oh, the muumuu? Wasn't, yeah. wasn't it a muumuu, basically? It was a muumuu with a pair of uh, stretch pants and running shoes. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, there's that. Uh, what else? Oh, yeah. Was there anything else worth mentioning in uh, university? I don't remember too well. Oh, yeah, I did, um, I liked the, uh, major select, the, the, uh, the way that you selected majors. Your majors were partially influenced by whatever your current aspirations were. Or, if you were a slacker, basically you didn't want to pick anything, and you wound up with philosophy as your major in the end. <laughs> oh, and you could choose different universities, too. Yes. Were there two or three universities? There was three universities, which corresponded with the initial three types of neighborhoods. So there was one that was in the middle oh, of nowhere. Yeah. Oh, right, which was like the the tree-filled, sunny neighborhood. There was like a desert one, and what was the other one? There were two tree-filled ones. One was just more tree-filled than the other. One was a coastal one or something? Yeah. Okay. But yeah, you could choose three different universities. Essentially, they were all the same thing. What did we call our university? Do you remember the name of the one that we chose and we named it something else? I think I chose the first one eventually. I don't remember what they're called now. I didn't... You can rename your neighborhoods. You can rename your universities. You could create uh, your own neighborhoods from scratch, mm-hmm. which you couldn't do in uh, the uh, in, in the subsequent Sims, although they are going to be introducing uh, a blank neighborhood in the Sims 4. Oh, that's right. They already did, actually. Oh, I we, haven't seen it yet. I we'll have to say. try that. Yeah. So, yeah. Oh, that's right. There's also a secret society. If you befriended... Mm. In order to get into the secret society, you had to befriend somebody... And especially in what it looks was in, in, who was wearing a blazer, it was. And the thing is, it's not as apparently it's not immediately obvious that they're in a secret society. But if you befriended them, then they would come in the middle of the night with a couple of their friends, and they would abduct you and take you to their secret society and allow you to join. Mm. It was really cool. And if you did that, it unlocked a bunch of other stuff for you. Oh, did it unlock stuff like after you graduated for careers and stuff? Yeah, it did. That's really neat. Graduating also unlocked um. Getting progressing in university unlocked uh, more wants. So, for example, once you got to your second semester, you unlocked your fifth your your uh, your fifth want uh, block. Getting to uh, your senior year unlocked a second lock. So you could lock two skills when you had five. When you graduated, you unlocked your final year six. No, yeah, you unlocked uh, want number six. So you could lock two skills and you had six wants. 
but it didn't increase the number of fears you had. So you would ha you had three fears and six wants. I forgot about fears. That's right. So the and accomplishing a, a, a accomplishing a want would raise your mood, and being faced with a fear would decrease your mood, and that was basically it, right? No long standing impact. It was just a matter of your mood. Yep, your mood. And the idea oh, and was your aspiration points yeah. too, which let you buy those rewards that we talked about earlier. Yep. And uh, the idea was that you wanted, if you you wanted to die with a platinum ask with a platinum mood, and it gave you like a really nice uh, gravestone. Otherwise, you died with just a bl with a uh, blank gray tombstone. Mm hmm. So yeah, that was that. And of course, it had a number of careers that were only available if you graduated, which is why I wanted to send my Sims to school because it was I hated the most of the base careers for the most part. I didn't like the way they operated. The only ones I found remotely tolerable were military, science, and, uh, what was the other one? Let's see. What Careers? Was I don't even remember. Business was just, you go to work, you come home. Oh, yeah, criminal, culinary. Oh, yeah, culinary with the one I like, because I oh, figured... Oh, you're cooking anyway. Yeah. You gotta cook. You might as well make a career out of it and, uh, force yourself to level up so you're not eating mac and cheese every day for the rest of your life. That's right. So then, nightlife. Oh, that was a really, that was an interesting one because it it uh, opened up a lot. It opened up more social skills, and it lets you uh, date other Sims. Well, you could anyway, but didn't it just give you destinations where you you could date them and spend time in public? Actually, you could actually actively ask out a Sim on a date. Oh, okay. And it determined like an attraction system. Remember the lightning bolts? It was, oh, right. How compatible you are with someone was that it, or is it attractiveness? Attractiveness, and that. Uh, Compatibility played into it, and that was determined with your zodiac sign. Okay, right. Mm -hmm. Oh, right, and your zodiac sign is a product of what points you spend on yourself when you create your sim about whether you're neat or a slob, or whether you're outgoing or shy, or whether you're yeah. strong or weak, stuff like yeah. that. I think I like that point system because you could distribute however you want, which means that I remember you making yourself completely filthy, and which what's interesting about these traits that you initially pick is that. They influence your children. Oh, that's right. And yeah, when two people have a child and the child's points are halfway between, sort of. Yeah. Somewhere between. Mm -hmm. That's right. I love being the filthiest one, though, because you didn't have to cook for yourself. You just go to the nearest trash can and eat out of the garbage. Oh, that was so gross. Or you just ate the leftovers. Oh, that's right. Oh, was it Sims 2 that had the thing where if you left a, a filthy plate on the floor with flies buzzing around it, you could just lick the plate? Oh! You lick the plate and that's your meal. <laughs> That was great. It was so convenient. <laughs> Man, cleaning's for suckers. <laughs> oh, that's so gross. I forgot about that. <laughs> oh, you were mentioning earlier that you, about your favorite aspiration. It was nightlife that introduced it. The grilled cheese aspiration. Yes. Grilled cheese aspiration. Would you like to describe the grilled cheese aspiration? Well, let's see. Everything in your life became about the grilled cheese sandwich. Mm-hmm. Uh, you lived, breathed, <laughs> ate, thought, drank grilled cheese. So, like, you, your sim might have, like, five slots with five different short-term desires. What would those desires be? Oh, yeah, six. So, let's see. Six. Let's see. Talk about grilled cheese, make grilled cheese, paint a grilled cheese, <laughs> eat a grilled cheese, make a serving of grilled cheese, serve someone grilled cheese, and your fears would inevitably be... Burning the grilled cheese. <laughs> That's right. I think my favorite one, though, I think my favorite one was paint grilled cheese. Because if you had the grilled cheese aspiration and you were a painter, 
invariably your house would be filled every single wall of your house would be filled with paintings of a grilled cheese sandwich it was just so obsessive and there was nothing that would make your sim happier than cooking a serving of a serving for six of grilled cheese sandwiches you make like 12 grilled cheese sandwiches and you just sit there and eat and eat and eat in fact it became eventually when they added in uh lifetime goals mm -hmm. it became uh, it became your lifetime goal to eat a hundred of these stinking sandwiches that's right so this was just the most awesome way to play the game obsessed with grilled cheese sandwiches mm -hmm. and of course if we're going to be talking about dating no uh, dating uh, stories complete without mrs. crumple bottom who is introduced <laughs> as your uh, chaperone so basically you're not you're a perfectly reasonable adult you're going out for a nice meal with your girlfriend you come. You both stand up. You're about to say goodnight, and you're gonna kiss her. Along comes Mrs. Crumplebottom, crankiness and all, and starts hitting you with her purse for an obscene display of affection in public. She's like a ninety-year-old-looking Mary Poppins lady. She's so she's like the, the the town prude. It's too funny. So she scolds anyone for their uh, PDAs. Mm -hmm. it's, even just harmless flirting. Mm -hmm. Well, that was cute. I don't remember too much about that. Was that oh, it was Sims Two? Was that the one that let you be a DJ? Yes, until so you could. You had the DJ stuff. You also had the awesome dance sphere. Oh, that's right. And if you weren't talented enough, you got projected out of it. That's right. It was like this, this like three ring gyroscope sort of a thing, which for some reason was like a way to dance and exercise. Was it an exercise thing too? Yes. Yeah. I like that though. You could be a DJ. You could level up in DJ skills too. And as you level up, you can like play different genres of music and just like walk up to any nightclub and and stand behind the decks and these like ten dollar icons would start appearing over your head as you're making your salary. It was really nifty. Yep. So that was one thing you could level up in, as well as the sphere. You could also level up your dancing. You became a better dancer over time. Oh, and that was like a hidden level up, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah. So it was the DJ and the the uh, in the gyro mm. sphere. Yeah. Some things. A lot of activities in The Sims, while you're leveling it up, if you're, like, learning physics or you're writing a book and you're getting becoming a better writer, you get a little progress bar over your head. But other activities, such as dancing, you'll do it a bunch and you'll look really silly at it, but all of a sudden, after doing it enough, you'll get a little bit better and you'll learn some new dance moves. And it's all corresponding to these hidden, these hidden uh, abilities that you can level up behind the scenes. You don't really know what your progress is, except by the actions of your character. Mm -hmm. And I love that the the best dancer, the highest, when you're like at the pinnacle of dancing, you do this like raver liquid dance. They say that the ravers are the best dancers in the world. I, I, I'm okay with that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's pretty cool. That's usually if you're at the, if you're, if there's a DJ playing. Otherwise, you can dance with some, oh, you could also dance with somebody, which was interesting. Not smusso, but just like dance with action. And then, if you were slick enough, you could do some of these really awesome moves, like you'd bend over backwards. Oh, right, you would dip them and stuff. Mm -hmm. You could do romantic things, too. Oh, can we can we break for a minute to talk about the music in this series, by the way? Sure. So, I, this started... Sims 1 had a really beautiful soundtrack. And if you're on Spotify, by the way, all this... I think almost all the Sims games and expansions, all those their soundtracks are on there, which is really cool. I think each Sims game... The base games came with, like, a lot of music, several hours of music, and the expansions usually came with another couple of hours or so of music as well. Um, they had really nice orchestral music of, like, different genres. They would have, like, a, they would have classical music or, like, uh, Spanish 
Latino music. They would have pop and rock and reggae, a bunch of different genres, electronic as well. Um, and the funny thing was, and we didn't even talk about the, their spoken language, their spoken language called Simlish was specially designed by linguists to ensure that it does not resemble any other spoken language, but it is in fact like a cohesive language where they intend to say something, they're trying to say something, like the, they'll say a string of, of pre-recorded words and they mean something, but it's actually, it sounds like gibberish and it sounds very silly, but there is some logic behind it. Um, so when they uh, when there are vocal songs on the radio and eventually they started going to like real uh, recording artists to re-record versions of their songs, they would sing it in Simlish. So it would be these songs that you already recognize, but they're using all these gibberish words, and it's actually being sung by that person. Uh, one of my favorite ones, I think, is a guy named Damien Marley. He's a reggae artist. He's the son of Bob Marley, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, he has a, a, a reggae song that he sings in Simlish, and it's just awesome. It's very, very funny to hear that kind of stuff. Okay. So the music is unbelievably good in the Sims series. There's original music, which a lot of the electronic stuff I just absolutely loved. It had this thing where if you're fast-forwarding the game, which is something that you have the opportunity to do to make time pass more quickly so that you can kind of skip past sleeping or doing some repetitive task, it would also uh, make the music, like it would raise the pitch of the music so that it was going faster and was higher pitched and like higher tempo. Um, but if some songs came on, I would just like sit there and watch my sim sleep in real time, just so that I could hear the song properly. The music was that good. Mm -hmm. Sorry for my digression. Oh, yeah. that's fine. That's perfectly all right. Let's see, so what else do we have? Well, some of the expan some of the expansions that they did have, I didn't care that much about. I mean, they had interesting content. Open for business was one of them. It was interesting initially, but a lot of work when you wanted to do just other stuff. It was an interesting way to earn money, but not the most efficient way to earn money. The most efficient way to earn money was to send your sim into the job mill and let them come home at the end of a hard day, cranky, smelly, and sweaty. But if you wanted to, you know, do the hands-on thing, since The Sims 2 didn't have any option to have your to follow your sim to work or even really work from home. Yeah, that's right. You would just it would be time for you to go to work. You would go out to a car. You would disappear for X number of hours and come back and you would have progressed in your job a little bit and you would have made some money. Mm -hmm. As a teenager you could work part-time and it was just another way to uh, increase your family's income and in fact if your, if your teenagers skipped university they would get a promotion in their job and they would be fast-tracked in the adult equivalent of their career so that they wouldn't have to start at the bottom and they would get a nice big promotion hmm. and a nice increase in their pay. Oh, interesting. Oh, right, because there was like a, a an abbreviated progression ladder of part-time jobs, right? You would start at the lowest part-time job and go up a little bit more as you got better? Oh, yeah. Speaking of the part-time jobs, it reminds me that in the Sims University expansion, you actually got a scholarship for getting to the top of your teenage job, your teen job. It's just you got scholarships for various things. Oh, right, if you're good at painting or playing an instrument yep, or something. Yeah, so if you, had, if you reached a certain level in your basic skills, you got... A scholarship. Then there are also hidden other hidden scholarships, such as the orphan fund. So if you uh, were like me and you're and you're desperate for money, you you wait. You make sure you have at least one teenager in the house. Then you kill off both parents in various horrible ways. Right. So that way your sim qualifies for the um, orphan fund. 
<laughs> then there's also one if your sim was an alien. As we mentioned earlier, the uh, male the male sims can be male adult males and young adult males can be abducted by aliens if they're using the telescope and they come back carrying alien progeny. So then they they uh, give birth to these things. These things grow up and they too can attend university. But they can get a special scholarship for being an alien. Um Let's see what else is there. So, yeah. So there are those are the entire those are the scholarships. But yeah, three of them are the hidden types, and the others are just more obvious. Mm. So back to open for business and uh, the uh, jobs. So, if you didn't want to uh, just see your sim go out the door and not and not have your world just fast forward, you could open a business. Businesses could be opened by one sim, and uh, you could operate everything: sales and cash register. But it was, but it would come immediately obvious. The more pro progress you made, the uh, more help you needed. So you had to hire NPCs to help you, or if you were really ambitious, hire bring your own family in and put one of them on the uh, cash register and put other one in sales. And you even had one that you that you that would do inventory. Because you had to keep your shelves full, because people buy stuff. Your townies would buy stuff. You would have to restock. In order to get them to buy stuff you needed to have some sort of salesmanship skill. At first, you kind of sucked. Because, let's face it, you don't know anything about sales. You've just opened up this business because you're tired of your 9 to 5 job and you're opening the laptorium. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, you could pretty much sell anything you wanted, whether it was stuff that you crafted or uh, that was introduced in later expansion packs, or just stuff that was available in the... Uh, Sims, I forget what the, uh, oh, in the buy build mode. You're right. Catalog. Yeah, in the Sims catalog. So you could sell anything. I sold, um, I forget what I sold. I think I just sold some random old crap at one point because I wanted to uh, see what I could uh, do with this. Mm -hmm. So my Sim got pretty good at selling. Unfortunately, one thing that tended to happen if you hired NPCs is uh, they got distracted very easily. Because in addition to uh, selling stuff, and you know, in addition to the businesses in the game, you also got some other interactions, which meant which included like sports. So toss the ball, toss the frisbee. So some of your Sims would go out and uh, start tossing these balls back and forth, while they were supposed to be working for you. Fortunately, I could get a uh, mod that uh, reduced the uh, stupid action so they wouldn't be performed autonomously. You have to tell your sim to do it, which made my uh, job a lot easier at work. Plus, it would mean that my clients would stop walking away to go do this other silly stuff. Right. But, it was it just got to be too tedious, especially if you had a bigger lot, or if you had a, if you had a small lot, your inventory ran out really quickly if you were highly successful. Okay. So, it was interesting as a mechanic, but as a means to make money in the game, it wasn't profitable and it was uh, too time consuming if you wanted to achieve other things. That's right. It was a kind of a fun way to spend time though, especially the salesmanship stuff because you, as you leveled up being a salesman you would get different persuasive techniques and different things to, I think wasn't it like the, the customer had a progress bar between like not interested to definitely going to buy Yeah. and so you had like a certain it, it would just, no, you didn't have a certain amount of time. I guess you just had till closing or something, but you wanted to persuade someone to buy something, and the more tricks you had in, up your sleeve, the more the, the faster that bar would fill up, depending on what you did. Yep, and uh, closing was whenever you decided to close shop. There was no uh, set hours. Oh, that's right. So you could send uh, 
people home when they were tired and bring other people in. That's right. Yeah. Now, um, let's uh, let's get through Sims 2 okay. in the next, like, 15 minutes or something, huh? And then we'll wrap it up, and yep. we'll, you, we'd love to have you back to talk about the other ones. Okay, sure. Okay. Then there was, after this, we had pets. That was actually a fun one, because basically the pets okay. were just ex- an extension of your family. They were a little tricky to deal with. They were very destructive, but it was fun to ha- to uh, try and get them to mate. <laughs> Because the litters would not be tiny by any means. If you had a cat, sometimes you'd get four kittens, and then they'd just be these little useless tiny balls of fluff that appeared on your front lawn that you'd go outside and rescue because they couldn't come inside. Oh, and did they adopt the traits, the, the physical traits, from the parents? I know yes. They, they did, huh? And they, I know they adopted like some of the personality traits, and you could see what kind of a personality they had. Oh, yep. You could, you could, they would adapt the personality traits of the parents. But you also had to uh, train your pets not to scratch the furniture, not to do or certain activities. Or if you wanted to do activities, you could use positive reinforcement. Right. So there's training, but there's right also encouragement and discouragement w- yep. when they would do something. Right. Yep. It was kind of like the game Black and White, mm-hmm. I guess, to that extent. Do you remember that one? Yes, I do. Peter Molyneux game. Yeah, that's right. Okay, where you have your pet. Anyway. Yep. And I know at one point, you decided to experiment. You're, you're like, okay, I'm going to have my Sims stay home, and I'm going to have all these pets, and I'm going to send them to work. Oh, that's right. Because me, you know, if we're playing a game like Diablo or something, or an RPG, I kind of enjoy playing the pet master, where I'm like, I have, I'm the orchestrator of this, like, whirlwind of little fuzzy, <laughs> fuzzy feet. So I like to just stand around while all my little pets are nibbling away and doing all the hard work for me. So I got the idea, because in the pets expansion... You can send your pets away for part of the day to go do a job. You can give your pets jobs. And I think there's, like, Rescue Dog or, like, Movie Star. Yeah, Rescue, do- uh, rescue, Entertainment, and Service. Okay. And you can even have, like, a Rescue Cat and a Service Cat, which is really cute. So I got the idea, okay, I'll just buy eight cats. <laughs> I'll send them out on jobs, and I'll get rich. What could go wrong? Well, basically, I spent about, I think, 15 hours a day cleaning shitty litter boxes. It was the most miserable, repulsive way to spend a day possible. And all my pets would come back, and I'd make, I don't know, I'd make like two-thirds as much as I would have made if I was flipping Sim Burgers or whatever. It was just a miserable, horrible existence, so I couldn't be my Beastmaster class in this in this game, sadly. Mm-hmm. But it was, at least it added another dimension, so if you wanted that whole perfect family, you could, but I couldn't, I, I didn't have the heart to add it to my to do it like that because it was just too much work. One cat or one dog is good enough. Two isn't good, but the good thing is that that in order to get them to interact, that you have to have some sort of intervention. They won't act autonomously, and they may have a negative relationship forever. So you mean they, you mean in terms of two pets interacting with each other? Yeah. So they won't. So you don't have to worry about the spaying and neutering in this game. Because the pets definitely act autonomously. They scratch and destroy all your furniture. No oh, yeah. matter how much you scold them, pretty much, unless they're smart, which yeah. they're usually not. Yeah. I've had couches completely destroyed. Mm-hmm. So then, speaking of, oh, and of course, fortunately they couldn't take out your walls or roof, which is a good thing, but they could take yeah. out everything else in your house, including counters. That's right. Fridges. That's right. They could use your fridge as a scratching post <laughs> until they destroy it. It was gross. Yep. Expensive. So only the structure of your house would remain if you didn't discipline the cat. So, if you didn't have a roof on your house, you were fine. I mean, there was no seat, there was no weather, no change in temperature. It was good until the uh, Seasons expansion pack came out. 
I like building my own houses, and unfortunately, I didn't quite remember to put a roof over my entire house. Oh, yeah. And uh, my house got snow in it, and the, and the snow happened to go in the room where the baby was, <laughs> and the baby started freezing. Uh-oh. And I think the room was also shared with another child. So the child was called, the baby was freezing, and the social worker was threatening to come. <laughs> I had very little money, so I had to go sell something I had and make the roof reach over. Oh, you had to like sell your TV to buy a roof? Yep. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so that was, so the Sims would get cold or they'd get warm. Yeah, I had a Sim get sunburned too when it was summer. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Seasons was kind of a cool expansion. It just added a little bit of uh, character to the world. Mm -hmm. Or to to the front of your house, I should say, because it's The Sims 2 and there's a million loading screens and you never go anywhere. Yep. Do you remember the penguins? No. There's penguins? Oh, that's right. And they would waddle into your yard. That's right. They look like little Pokemon. They were so cute. They were like... They were like waist-high little penguins. And I think you could befriend them. I think so. You can bring them a fish or something, couldn't you? Yep, you could bring them fish, and you could build snowmen when it was hot out. When it was cold out. Not when it was hot out. What the hell am I saying? Yeah. What the hell are you saying? Mm-hmm. But yeah, the seasons were interesting, but it wasn't... But you couldn't really control the order they happened, and they just happened. What? Oh, that's right. I mean, they happened in the correct order. You couldn't adjust them. Yeah, you couldn't really adjust them. The you way could do that in Sims 3. Yeah, you could adjust more. Actually, I think you could uh, change it a bit, but not as much as you could in Sims 3. Okay. But yeah, once like it was one of the expansion packs that brought in just a bit of stuff that um, changed the, w- the way everything operated. Alright, let's abbreviate it and bring it on home, huh? Okay, uh... Mm-hmm. You, and oh yeah, you want to talk about let's talk uh, loading screens some more. You want to talk about loading screens? Uh, bun by bun by us, the travel expansion pack. Now that had more loading screens than you could shake a stick at. Oh my gosh, it sure did. Well, you would go to a destination. It would load the world, the neighborhood, and the lot. Right. Mm-hmm. Three separate loading screens. <coughs> Mm-hmm. And these are in the days, of course, like most people had like a 5400 RPM crap-ass, cheap-ass hard drive. There are no solid-state drives. This game loaded really slow. Yep. But when you got there, it was awesome because these places were just gorgeous. What were the three destinations? Uh, Tweaky Island, Three Lakes, Takimisu Village. They were all cultural like, all right. destinations. So Tweaky Island was like Hawaii. Yep. Three Lakes was supposed to be like the woodsy area of Canada, basically. Yep, and uh, the and Takamisu Island was Japan. It was supposed to be like Japan or Asia, and of course, the really good part—you uh, also had the option to build like travel memories, which were done by visiting touristy destinations, trying the food, buying souvenirs, getting like a photograph, and doing three very distinct op- things. Talking to, it involved the locals. First of all, it was talking to them to learn their. To learn their greeting. Oh yeah, that's right. Where uh, the Japanese ones, their greeting was to bow. The Hawaiians were <laughs> the Hawaiians was the hang loose thing with the pinky and the thumb. And there's the Canadian one. Oh, ah, blah blah. Yeah. They like beat their chest <laughs> like Tarzan sort of. It was awesome. Um, <laughs> Very cute. Yep. Yeah, so and then when you got home from vacation, you would do these things to everyone you met, and it was and really. And they stupid. would eventually learn it too. That's right. And. In addition to learning that, you also learned the local dance. So you could, so when you got oh, home, yeah. you could teach other people how to dance, and you could get them to all hula with you. Oh, and the or, Canadians had. You remember the Canadian dance? 
It was a slap dance. Oh, yeah. They're, so like, <laughs> they're like slapping their knees and doing this jig kind of a thing. Yeah. It was very loud. But the eight, but the Japanese one was not actually a dance. It was Tai Chi, which was so soothing to watch. Mm. And if you did it long enough, you got into the zone. All right. What, yeah. can we, what can we finally say about that expansion? Anything else? Was that the one with the... Um, was that the one with uh, whatever? Yeah, I did. I like that one. Yeah, that was an interesting one. But it was a lot of fun. There's just a lot of loading screens, uh, but yeah, it was so a you, lot of fun. It was a lot of fun, and so it was one thing you could actually bring a whole family on. That's right. Oh, there were foods too. I think that you could learn yeah. recipes and stuff. You could learn recipes. Yeah. Then there was free time. Basically, that was the hobby expansion pack. It was just added more stuff for you to do. It became kind of repetitive at one point. It just what am I going to do? You can't learn everything, but you want to learn everything. Oh, so what were some of the hobbies? I don't remember now. Well, the hobbies were in a separate panel, so they were things like dancing, so you could just dance to music, or you could use a ballet bar, mm. sports, so you could like, do active sports, read about sports, you could uh, garden, so you could watch the gardening show, you could garden, and you could uh, grow your own fruits and vegetables, or you could read about it online, and then... There's just everything in and in between sewing. Like you actually had a sewing machine you could use. Hmm. Okay, and but and then the last one was apartment life. This was the uh, final expansion before uh, you got into Sims Three. Oh, I liked this one because the one thing I guess that stayed constant between all the expansions was that you live in your house. And so apartment life let you live in an apartment, and you even could have a roommate. I think, right? Yep, it's roommates. You could rent and. If you had a previous expansion pack, I forget which one it was. Oh, that's, I can't remember. Oh, never mind. Then I can't remember what it is. So I won't mention it. Hmm. Okay, so you could rent apartments, and so at this point, in addition to to maids and all your delivery people, your nannies, you could now have a live-in butler who basically fulfilled the role of the nanny and the maid. It's weird that they would put that in the expansion pack where you have the smallest possible living quarters? You'd I think, know. You'd think they would do that for another one. Or did they add that then to all the... You could have that in your house, too. It could have it anywhere, as long as he had a bed. Okay. As long as he had a bed sit, he could uh, basically serve in any capacity. But he was good for cleaning, child sitting, and uh, various other tasks. Well, what I remember and the most fondly I think about this expansion was... The roommate, which was, you know, I mentioned before that I like to play as a single character, and if somebody gets added to my family, I tend to just kind of let them coast on their autonomous behavior. Um, your roommate is someone who is autonomous, and they're not controllable. And more often than not, they'd be like the most detestable possible person Ugh. in the history. So they would leave their dirty crap all over the place, or they would tell you to stop doing things, or they would just be in your way. They would, whenever you're late for work and you, oh, you desperately need to like poo and have a shower, they would be in there taking all day. And that actually made the game really funny and dynamic. And I believe you could also... I believe you could kick them out and look oh, for yeah. new roommates. You could kick them out. You or could romance you could, them. Yeah, you could do anything you wanted, just like a real roommate. Well, almost anything. Right. Oh, and you also had noisy neighbors where Ugh. the sound waves would come through your wall and you would, like, kick your wall and you would shut them up for a minute or maybe it wouldn't. Mm -hmm. You could go over to the apartment next door and knock on the door and go yell at them. Yeah. Oh, uh, then there were elevators. Oh, yeah. Oh, no, that, no, elevate. Were the elevators in this one? I think so. Well, there were elevators, but I don't know if they were introduced in this one. Yeah. Or were there just stairs? 
I think it was just stairs. I think it could have been stairs or elevators because when mm. you picked your unit, you could pick anything you wanted that wasn't currently taken, and then you went into it. But I know that in The Sims 3, when they did it, they you couldn't you just moved in and they gave you assigned you a unit. That's right. But in this one, you picked what one you want. You could pick, but you had to walk downstairs and pay your rent at the rent box. Oh, that's right. Mm-hmm. But yeah, you could see you could uh, easily visit your neighbors because everything was more open. It was sort of like a dormitory, but you couldn't see into the room. Mm-hmm. And so that's about it for Sims 2. Oh, now there's... there. I'd, we'd love to have you back to talk about Sims 3 and 4. Mm-hmm. Um, before we adjourn, there's one more story that you have to tell about The Sims 2. Was it Sims 2? Where I had asked you to build me... Oh, that... Oh, yes. Okay, so I, I asked... I would ask my wife to, you know, build me a house. I got nothing interesting to do. I want you to build me a house so my Sims will live in it and you can watch me play. So she built me... The Fleebelheimer. The Fleebelheimer, as she called it, which was? a, I believe it was as many floors as possible, so like three floors up, basement. It had the biggest yard, the b- biggest lot possible, and in the yard was a hedge maze. And this, this house cost how much? Um, like half a million simoleons. At least. So there was a hedge maze in the yard, and the uh, width of the hedge maze was one square wide. So you had to, and then you had to walk through this freaking hedge maze to get to your house. And then when you got into your house, there was more maze corridors in order to get to the master bedroom and eventually the bathroom. That's right. So if you're in bed, you got to go to the bathroom. How long would it take you to get to the bathroom? Um, better hope you don't piss yourself on the way there. It would take something in between three and four hours to get out of bed and get to the bathroom. So as you can imagine, there are a few puddles on the way there from where you couldn't quite make it. This was the most infuriating fucking house I could possibly imagine. It took so long to do anything. I can't tell you how many times my Sim would come home from work and just want to go to bed and would have to, like, fall asleep on the dirt somewhere in the hedge maze because it just took too long to get to the bed. (laughs) It was very cruel. And it was so expensive. Oh, I hated that house. Thanks thanks a bunch for that. Speaking of cruelty before we wrap it up. Mm Mm-hmm. I forgot to mention my asylums. <laughs> oh, let's hear about an asylum. Well, this is different than the Realm of Torment. Realm of Torment just happened by chance. It's accumulated, in the, and I just and I figured, why not just keep using it? It's funny. But Asylum was deliberate. I created eight sims, eight of the most miserable people you can imagine, the most eight incompatible, miserable people that you could ever possibly imagine, stuck them into a house with one bathroom, one kitchen, one bed. Mm. And since they couldn't leave the lot, they were stuck there with each other. That's right. It kind of turned into a Lord of the Flies thing, didn't it? Where you'd have to like pressure each other to get whatever few resources there were. And some people would establish themselves at the top of the hierarchy and would shove other people around and stuff. Yeah. So I did a few iterations of, in this house, and I got eventually got a graveyard going there. But not too much of a graveyard, because... Uh, I got bored of it, and I just created a new house with more with the equal amount of filth and uh, disgusting individuals. But was this the house where you just created a bunch of people with really strong personalities, and then you didn't control them; you just let them interact? Yeah. Yeah, that's all, and that's it's a good thing to leave off on too, I guess. That's a really funny thing to do in The Sims if you want to make a bunch of characters that you know are going to create conflict with each other, and then just take your hands off and watch it like a TV show. It's just endlessly entertaining. It's really, really funny. Mm-hmm. 
Phew. Well, that's Sims 1 and 2, huh? Yep. That we, we had more to say on that than I think we thought that we did, but uh, so is the case with Square Waves FM. So happy to still be recording. So happy to have you all listening to us. We love you like crazy. Sure miss you, Chris, but uh, we hope all is well. Mm-hmm. Um, if you want to get a hold of us, um, you can reach uh, you can reach us on the web, uh, squarefm.demodulated.com, by email, squarefm at demodulated.com, and on Twitter, at squarewavesfm. And if your fans want to reach you on Twitter, where can they do that? I'm uh, Birds Tweeting, so it's uh, Birds, B-I-R-D-S underscore T-W-E-E-T-N. <laughs> Birds Tweeting. And we've done enough tweeting for one day, I think, so yep. I guess we can let it go for the day. Yep, okay, I suppose we can, and uh, we'll resume some other time. I would love that. Thank you so much for joining us. You are by far the most attractive <laughs> guest that we've had on the show. No offense to the rest of you, but you're way uglier than her. <laughs> All right. We love you lots, guys. Thank you so much for joining us. Take care. Bye. <laughs>